0: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go. A
1: Thursday edition of the Sports Bash is live now on your radio, 97.3 ESPN, and on your free mobile app, 97.3 ESPN. Slash app. I would imagine that most people out there feel like the series is over after what you saw last night. I'm here to tell you you're not wrong, but let's see what happens with the big guy. Because there were things that happened last night that were both frustrating and encouraging all wrapped into one. We'll dive into it today here on the Sports Bash. Your engagement always appreciated. On the Tech Sports 609 403 We're open there If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app You can message us through the app On your phone It comes right to the studio It's easy to do uh, Sixers lose last night You know what's funny Josh I gave you the points last night Remember that? I gave you the, the points that uh, I needed Yes you know what they added up to?
2: Mm, don't remember. I know you wrote them down though.
1: I did. I just don't know where you wrote them down. <laughs>
2: um, they are around here somewhere. Because I literally saw you write there them are. down. They're here. No, I wrote them down because I wanted
1: to see how close you got. How close I got, right?
2: Yeah. That's the whole fun of it.
1: Well, if you add up the number that I gave you yesterday that I predicted that these guys would get, the number was 103. Okay. Do you know how many points they scored last night? They scored 102. 103. Oh, so I told you what they were going to get and what they needed to get to win the game last night. I said, they'll get 103. This is how they'll do it. Now, let me see how close I actually was to the dispersing of the numbers. All right? All right. I
2: got the box score in front right, of me. All right.
1: I had Maxie for 30, he had, he had 34. 34. I had Harden for 21. He had 20. I had Harris for 23. He had 21. Well, I'm pretty close on these numbers here, dude.
2: This is why you hit 13 out of 14 on those parlays.
1: I know. Did I I didn't even check mine last <laughs> night. I had Niang for 9.
2: Uh, Niang had 5.
1: Okay, so I was a little off there. I had the Jordan Reed contingent for 11.
2: Jordan Reed had 4. Sorry, Reed had 4. Jordan had, where are there Jordan Six.
1: So that's 10. So I was one off there. And I had Green for nine.
2: Green had three. He had Green almost was. Shooting nine.
1: Yeah, Green was the guy who really. I, I, he was the one guy that I was pretty. Him and Niang were the two guys that I wasn't like within one on. And I said, you'll get 103 if that happens. Then I just need like 10 to 15 in some other capacity. And, and they didn't get that. No, you didn't. <laughs> they I mean, didn't
2: Kork, get Korkmaz that. gave you eight. Yeah. You
1: know, but Kork has, Korkmaz gave you eight. Milton gave you two. That was really late in the game. Uh will gave you a goose egg in 21 minutes. So I hit 103 right on the nose. I said Maxie 30, Harden 21, Green 9, Yang 9, Harris 23, the Reed-Jordan duo for 11. That adds up to 103. You get to 103 with that bunch. I need somebody else in some other capacity to get me to the extra 10 to 15 points. If I got an extra 15 points in this game somewhere, right? If I just get that extra 15 somewhere, just give it to me somewhere, man. I might win that game last night. The problem is I told you you'd get to 103 somebody else would have to step up somewhere and get me those extra points and you just didn't get it
2: last night what also didn't help that Harden basically scored what only four points in the second half last night he disappeared again in the second half of game.
1: yeah Harden didn't play great I mean he was six of 15 he shot the ball a couple of extra times he was one of five from three he had 20 points he had nine assists again he was a good player he wasn't a standout player Maxie had a I thought an up-and-down first half, he was more aggressive in the second half, didn't get a lot of help. DeAndre Jordan, I'm not going to sit here and say he lost the game for you last night. He didn't play terrible. They played him less minutes. They actually yeah. played Paul Reed 25 minutes
2: last night. 25 minutes, two fouls. How about that?
1: Problem is, you can't play, and I talked about this. Reed has to play 12 to 15 minutes. You expose him for more than that, it's like starting John Mayberry Jr. in left field every single day. (laughs) Right? Can't do it. Reed is good for 12 to 15 minutes. You know, I don't want to bring this up, but Charles Bassey played one minute last night. Did you see the block shot he had?
2: You mean the, the one block shot he finally got into the game? He got
1: into the game. He blocked the shot, but it was an athletic block where he swatted that ball into the first row of the of the arena last night. It shows you the rim protection. Now, I'm not sitting here today. Yesterday, we were hard on, heavy on DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan did not lose them the game last night, but this is what I said all along, right? All along, my point was this with, with DeAndre Jordan. I'm not blaming him for losing the game so much. Right. But for the most part, if you're going to go back and do the same exact thing that you did in game number one, why would you think you had a shot to win game number two? And that's essentially what they did. Hey, we didn't win game number one. Let's roll the dice right back out with the same exact lineup and try to do it again. Now, Jordan was better, but here's the number for you that stands out to me. Bam Adebayo is shooting 90% from the field when he's defended by DeAndre Jordan. And in this series so far, you're laughing, 90%. When DeAndre Jordan is his defender, he is 90%. But here's the big number. Bam Adebayo in this series, and Bam is not a great offensive player.
2: No, he's raw. He's, he's a, an athlete.
1: He's an athlete. He is the putback guy. He's the get-the-dunk He's that guy. In this series so far, Bam Adebayo, who averages how many points a game in the regular season? I'd probably say like 15. Right? My guess is about 15.
2: So we're about the same area. Right. He's in
1: like the 15 point a game range. In two games in this series, a guy who is their third scorer. Jimmy Butler's their number one. Tyler Hero's their number two.
2: Wow, he's averaging 19 a game. Is like, he really? Yeah, I didn't realize In the
1: regular that. season or the playoffs?
2: No, the regular season, 19.1. Wow. It's way more than I thought.
1: All right, well, in this series, he scored 47 points and has 21 rebounds. So he has been a huge difference maker in this year. What's his career average?
2: His career average is 13, though, because his, his first two years he didn't get a lot of playing time. I was going
1: to say, I, maybe his career average 13 is more what Here, I'm thinking.
2: Here's his last three years' scoring average. He was 15.9 his first year as an All-Star. The next year was 18.7. This year, 19.1. All right. Shoots pretty efficiently, you know, 55%, 57%, 56%.
1: Good, look, Bam's a good player. He's an All-Star player. But he's got 47 points to 21 rebounds so far in this series. Right. And again, I'm not. This isn't Mike Gill's blasted DeAndre Jordan again. I'm not blasting DeAndre Jordan. I tweeted this out last night. Doc Rivers said something, and he said it kind of compelling and compassionately. I don't know if you saw the post game press conference, but he said, "Look, those guys are trying hard. They're doing the best they can." Paul Reed and DeAndre Jordan. Right. Like he gets it. They're not good enough. Like Doc, this was Doc Rivers' moment of. Guys, I get it. They're not good enough. But his, that's his not why the, Right, man, it's like they're not good enough. They're trying hard. And I said, I do agree. I tweeted this out last night when I heard him say that. I do agree with Doc. I didn't question DeAndre Jordan's effort. He's simply not good enough. Right. He was better tonight than in Game 1 or last night. Reed, who got 25 minutes, was pretty insignificant last night. It's too many minutes for him. It's too many minutes. He got exposed. He's out there too long.
2: Frankly, what I would have done, Mike, is... I would have taken about 10 minutes off of Reed and handed it to either Bassey or Millsap. Not that it would have made much of a difference, but just get somebody else out there. Put another body out there. Well, because
1: as it, I said, I, I and I tweeted this out this morning. As I said yesterday on the show, if you do the same thing as you did in game one— it wasn't going to be good enough. Right. We rolled out the same lineup, lineup and hoped for better results. Without rolling the dice, stealing a game was not going to happen. And you, you weren't going to steal a game on the road against that team trying to do the same thing.
2: Mike, you talked to McGarry about it yesterday. You know, what's the definition of a sanity? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result.
1: And the Sixers did the same thing, and they tried to get a different result. I will say this. Now, I said at the beginning of today's show, it was frustrating and encouraging at the same time. Well, why? I mean, the Sixers shot eight for 30 from three-point range last night. As conversely, in the first series against Toronto, they shot over 40% in four games, maybe more. I don't know what they shot from three in game six. I'll put up. But if you go back to that game six game against Toronto, they shot 40% on the nose. So you figure they shot 40% on the nose in game six, they shot 50% in game one, and they were over 40% in game two, three, and four. You knew a cold streak was coming. Nobody's shooting 40% blistering for two straight weeks. So the Sixers' cold spell should be expected. Now the question is, is it expected because, hey, nobody can shoot 40% blistering hot like that for a two-, weeks span? Or is it because it's something the Heat are doing? It's something to say they're simply not good enough, and I think there is some of they're not deep enough. But the fact that they're not shooting the basketball all that well is at least a reason you should feel somewhat that there's a possibility that they can get two games here in Philadelphia. Especially if you can get Joel Embiid back, which a lot of signs are pointing in that direction. There was a report that he did practice today, or he was going to try to practice today. I don't know that he did. I don't know that he didn't. I haven't seen much other than Doc Rivers has kind of been coy about the whole situation.
2: And I think he has to be for league protocol reasons. For those who don't know, the... The concussion protocols have very, very specific stipulations. Like, in order to do this, you have to to clear this step and this step and this step. And I know that part of the thing with a lot of teams they want to see is, well, even if you pass some of the steps, can you recover the next day? Like, when you go out there and practice, even by yourself, you know, one on nothing or whatever it might be. How do you feel the next day? It's a huge part of the process.
1: Well, the report last night during the game was not encouraging. Chris Haynes saying that he couldn't even use his phone. Couldn't even look at the screen. Because the light from the screen was bothering him so much. And you know what I thought of when I heard that? Was Chris Pronger. Remember the Chris Pronger story who said, I can't even go to the shopping mall. Right. Because the lights in the mall were irritating me so much with the right. concussions he had you know that was some I mean that ended that his career scary. that ended
2: his career when he said that in the way he described it it was like it made you uncomfortable with the idea of this guy doing anything
1: yeah Doc Rivers today didn't give an update on Embiid he still has some hurdles to clear he has not practiced but that doesn't mean he couldn't play if he's cleared Correct. that was what Doc Rivers message was today so if Joel Embiid comes back, even if Embiid doesn't play. Let's say Embiid can't play Friday and he's back on. There's no reason to think that you can't come back home and win a game.
2: Absolutely, because first of all, we know that role players typically play better at home. Yeah, The Sixers in the Toronto series showed that. They went to Toronto. Role players struggled for most of the series. When they came home, they played better, aside from Game 6. In, in Toronto, the Sixers have shown you that they're a, a team on the road that's very inconsistent.
1: Well, you know, and the, but the funny part is they were better on the road than they were at home during the course of the year. So, so, the, the, fact season, that, yeah. Yeah, so the fact that, you know, they're having some problems, I think, speaks more to, because look, Danny Green's a champion. He doesn't, he's not like, hey, I'm on the road, so now like, I'm, I'm spooked out. Yeah, I'm not talking about Danny as much. Yeah, though. but George Niang, he's a veteran. James Harden, he's a veteran. These are guys who just aren't shooting well. The guys who you're talking about aren't playing, and they're not shooting poorly. You know, Tyrese Maxey's been one of the best players out there. He'd be one of the guys he would think, hey, on the road, maybe his game goes down. It's Harden, it's Green, and Niang. Those guys are shooting 16% from three-point range. 16! It's Unacceptable. It's unacceptable to win a game. I mean, it's it's to be expected at some point. They can't. Danny Green was hitting four threes a night in the Toronto series. At some point, George Yang's hitting two and three threes a game in the Toronto series. At some point, the well was going to run dry for these role-playing guys. They can't keep up that pace. So you can't count on them like the Sixers need to count on them without Joel Embiid. When you don't have Joel Embiid, you need to count on those guys more. Why? Because James Harden I can't count on. You know, I heard today Chris Carlin on Greeny say that James Harden has not shot the ball 20 times in a game since he's been traded to the Sixers. That's correct. Not once has he shot the ball 20 times in a game, and routinely he might have taken 20 shots by halftime in Houston. George Niang, when you go to George Niang in the series against Toronto, Mm -hmm. look, George Niang is a role player, but on this team, you need his offense off the bench. So far in this series, I mean, it's comical, the the shooting numbers for him in this series. The, the, the two games in Miami so far for George Niang, he is one for 10 from three-point range. One for 10. Meanwhile, in the series against the Toronto Raptors, I mean, Niang was a key factor In some of these games with his ability to hit the three. In the series against Toronto, you go back to that in the matchup against the Raptors. It is a totally different story in the game. He hit two threes, one, three, three, one, and two. He's giving you almost two threes per game in the series against Toronto. And in this series, so far, he's got one three in two games on ten attempts. It just... You're getting nothing from your bench.
2: And this gets back to the other side of the coin that I wanted to ask you about today, Mike, which is, you know, we knew that Miami was a better team than Toronto coming into this series. And don't we have to admit that Miami's defense is putting the Sixers in a very awkward situation where they can't get the shots that they want, right? Well, what
1: happens without Joel Embiid is... Joel Embiid attracts so many double teams. Right. And it gives – Tim Legler was on our show a while back, and he talked about what shooters yearn for, space and time. Remember that? I don't know if we have that bite anywhere, but space and time. If you are a mid-level player, if you're a role player – There's nothing better that you can get than space and time when you want to shoot. In other words, not having to rush your shot. Mm -hmm. But without Joel Embiid, there's no double. So you're getting good looks, but there's still rushed looks because the defenders have less time that they need to get to you because they're not all the way down in the paint hanging out with Joel Embiid most of the time. So you're seeing guys take rushed shots. Yang was 0 for 7 on Monday night. 0 for 7. And then Danny Green's 1 for 9. I mean, for God's sakes, Danny Green, by accident, even if he's having a lousy shooting night, sometimes just hits two of them. He's hits in that corner. He's one of the best three-point shooting percentages on corner threes in the game. By accident, you hit two if you take nine of them. He made one last night. Not that if he shot made two, that was gonna change the
2: game. No, but back to what you said about Embiid, Mike. The fact is when Embiid's on the court, it puts you in a better position offensively in many ways. And as they were talking about on the TND broadcast last night, every time Maxi and Harden and Green got the ball, Miami's contesting them in their face and giving them almost no space yeah, how to How many breathe. times do you have
1: Green catch the ball in the corner, and he's got somebody, and he's trying to put the ball up over his head, then he's you that wheeling it down, and he's trying to get a little separation, and he just can't. can't. Danny Green one for nine in the game last night. He was um, one for five. So he is two for 14, shooting the three. In the Toronto series, he hit four, he hit four, he hit two, he hit three, and he hit three. So there's two ways to look at this. Well, I expected Danny Green to kind of slow down. I expected that Danny Green wasn't going to start hitting threes. Danny Green hit four three. He hit eight threes in the final two games against the Raptors. Eight. He hit eight threes in the final two games against the Raptors. So at some point the well was going to run dry on the Danny Green train. He had 51 57% in game 6, 44% in game 5, he was 42% in game 3. So anybody out there who doesn't like Danny Green, I get it. He's not a guy that's flashy, but if you hit eight threes in a span of two games, <laughs> you'll take that. You'll take it. Danny Green 1 for 9. George Niang, unfortunately, not shooting the ball well. Well, that shouldn't matter. It has to matter when Joel Embiid's not there and James Harden isn't helping you out.
2: Yeah, it's the thing to me, Mike, is you know not to overuse the phrase, but you know, Jason Kelsey, it's the whole team, right? It's not specifically one guy that's losing them these games. It's the whole team. It's all these different parts, all not. Being able to get their part of the job done, and collectively, it's leading to these losses.
1: Well, the question is: when you watch this game and you see what's going on, does simply adding Joel and Bead into your lineup shorten the gap between these teams and flip it? That's the big question. It
2: definitely shortens the gap, a hundred percent. But how much it flips it, I think it depends on a lot of variables.
1: Which Embiid are you getting?
2: That's one of them. And the other one is, you know, do the guys feel more comfortable with Embiid on the floor? Or do they fall into the same short shortcomings and pitfalls that they fell into without him on the floor? Because, well,
1: Of course, if he's on the floor, you're going to be more comfortable having him there. There's so many you know, moments. What I,
2: what I mean is, for example, you look at the two losses that they had in the Toronto series. Embiid played... But there were times the other guys just couldn't do their job, and they were caught standing around watching Harden and Embiid. They weren't doing the screens. They weren't doing the movement. They weren't making the cuts. Yeah,
1: but you also had pedestrian games from Embiid. Sure. Again, to for the for the Sixers to win, they need Embiid to score thirty five, and then they need that other guy to be the twenty 25- five. Point guy have the big night, be the secondary player to him, and then they need their role players. If you want Danny Green to lead you to victory, you're going to be disappointed. Right? Danny Green's not leading anybody to victory, but when he hits four threes in a game, that helps you get there. That right. helps take off the pressure from Joella B. Because when he gets doubled, you could throw the ball into the corner, and there's that three Wide that open. keeps the lead at bay. It keeps the team from making that run. It changes the momentum sometimes when you have a double team to Joel Embiid and he can kick it out and George Yang is there catching that ball in the wing and hitting that three that's a difference maker if you're asking in game two Danny Green has to win the game for you and George Yang well of course not if they shoot one for nine and oh for seven the other night well then you have no shot to win the game without Joel Embiid
2: right now now you're up creek without a paddle at that point
1: when you had a turn to Furkan Corkmaz last night, that's a desperation move, if you ever ask me. Maxi, 34, hard and 20. It's a decent recipe right there, but 8 for 30 on three-point shots. And the big number is they can't rebound in the zone. They're getting pounded there because they have to go small so much on the defensive end. They're going zone, long rebounds. You don't have the rebounding from your guards. That's a big problem. Maxi's not a rebounder. Harden's not a great rebounder from the on on the deep. Uh, you know when when Miami's missing their shots. And quite frankly, look again. In the first game, Miami was putrid shooting the ball from three. They shot twenty, um, but they shoot from three last night. Miami. They shot, I think, better from three last night. They
2: definitely shot better than last they
1: did in the first game.
2: Uh, they shot forty-eight percent.
1: Okay, that's pretty darn good. So you're the first shooting, game,
2: they didn't shoot well at all. No, in
1: the first game, they didn't shoot well from three at all. They had 15 offensive rebounds, though. Right. And last night, they shot the ball better from three. But I feel like they yeah, shot game better. Game one
2: was 25% for Miami.
1: Correct. And the offensive rebounds last night, only eight of them because they shot the ball much better. So right. this is a team right now that's beating you from both angles. When they miss, they're rebounding. When they're on, well, you're not matching them. And the Sixers, it felt like you saw that huddle shot. Of Spolster last night, and he said it. Hey, we've been at twelve like the whole game. Let's push this to eighteen or twenty. Let's you know, let's get it past twelve. And they they were able to do it. They were able to push away from Philadelphia. Uh, the Sixers just they, it felt like they just could not get over that eight point bump, that twelve to eight point bump. Tried. They tried. They tried, but they just didn't have the horses. They just didn't have the horses, and they just couldn't hit the big shot. They just could not hit that big shot. So nobody's sitting here saying, man, Danny Green's great. George Steang is great. But they ain't going to shoot. You got no shot. They're there as role players. They are secondary players. Third players. They're actually thirdary tertiary. <laughs> players. <laughs> Yeah, they're not your number one option, your number two (laughs) option, your number three. They're fourth and fifth options. They're there to hit threes and just get open looks. You don't have Joel Embiid. Those open looks aren't there, and those guys become completely irrelevant. And when they shoot you out of a game, the Sixers didn't have another answer last night because they went with the same game plan as game one. Hey. Let's get open looks. If we get open looks and we make them, we're in the game. If we don't, uh, we're going to lose. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. A busy show today. Bob Wankel's going to talk some Phillies in the 3 o'clock hour. they got a huge series with the Mets. Why is it so big? It's a four-gamer. Sixers, uh, Phillies are six out. Already six out. If they get swept by the Mets, they would be ten back when I'm here on Monday. Talk about an early season series that means something. You get swept by the Mets. You will be 10 games out of first place when I'm back on the Sports Bash Monday. We'll talk to Bob about that. Jeff Mosher has football at four. A lot of front office changes inside the Eagles front office post-draft. Why all the changes after the draft? We thought they had a good draft. That's at 4 o'clock today. Todd Rank is back at 5 o'clock tonight. You don't want to miss Todd and I. Talk NBA playoffs and more here on the Sports Bash.
0: Now, back to Morse by 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader.
1: 232 Sports Bash. You know, the Kentucky Derbies this weekend. We'll talk to my boy, The Voice, Barry Abrams, on tomorrow's show. He'll give you a couple of winners for the race this weekend. Derby's back. Derby weekend. Preakness uh, is the 21st. That's coming up in a couple of weeks as well, so it's horse racing season. I see it's text board season. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. Uh, let's take a look at some of the messages here. Hello, gentlemen. Lou from Ventnor. The fact that Harden can't, won't step up in Embiid's absence is concerning. Harden is obviously a shell of his former self. can't overpay for Harden in the offseason. Hopefully, Harden takes a long look in the mirror. Yeah, Lou, you know, it's a, it's a point that uh, I don't want to get into whether they should sign Harden or not into the offseason yet. We're not at that point yet. I, I really want to know if Harden's injured or not. How, what percent is Harden at right now? Is he playing on a 75% hamstring? Is he just out of shape? Is he done? Is he cooked? I think there's a lot to the Harden thing that needs to be explored that we're not going to find out to the end of the year. You know, if they get eliminated and they have their um, exit interviews and we find out, you know, hey, James came here. He played as much as he could on a 50% hamstring. I think you got to reevaluate, but it's definitely concerning that he's not the same player. I don't think he's a max player right now. And I think the Sixers are in a tough spot. You know, the whole Simmons thing put them in a tough spot, and this is the result: is that you had to make a trade that you might not have wanted to make. I don't think, I don't think the Sixers wanted to trade Ben Simmons. I think Simmons put him in a spot, and then if they did, because he put them in that spot, Maury's relationship with Harden certainly pushed the envelope to that direction. Mike, the series is still winnable. If the three is not falling, why keep going back to it? They couldn't hit it uh, being wide open either. Change of game plan. Many things you just shake your head at. Um, well, there's a lot to that message as well on the text board, 609 uh, 403 There was a tweet this morning from Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe. Old school writer, cover those great Celtics teams. In the 80s, Larry Bird. He tweeted, I completely understand younger basketball fans embracing the three-point shot. It's all they know. Well, they don't. what they don't know is how much better the game was without it. I'm not here to tell you the game was better with or without the three. The three has a place. Just like baseball and launch angle and exit velo, those things are fine. If you're good enough, like in baseball, most hitters aren't good enough to hit with launch angle and get good exit velo. So you turn a guy into a lousy hitter because you're trying to teach him something that really only the elite players can do with success. Most shooters aren't good enough. That's the problem. The three has its place, but just like baseball, it's either a home run or nothing. Well, not everybody can hit a home run every single time. You know, the really, really good players hit, what, 35, 40 homers in a 162-game season? And now we're trying to teach everybody to try to hit home runs every time they're up? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's sign up for that. Just like basketball. Three's better than two, so shoot more threes. Well, not everybody's good at shooting threes. So now what you get is bad three-point shooters. If you're truly elite, yeah, Seth Curry, go ahead. Fire 10 threes up a night. You might hit four. You're talking about the true elite, elite player hitting 40%. So why the hell if the best of the best can only hit 40% why the hell would I want other people shooting threes whenever they want? Which, because everybody has the green light to do it, you've now made the game very mediocre. You've made the baseball game unwatchable, and you've made the basketball game a mediocre product. You just got people bombing away from three. And if it's if you're on that night, great. And if you're not, you got a lousy product. We've created a, a, a society and an atmosphere where we're teaching mediocrity, mediocre players, and trying to get them to do things that only the elite players can do. Only Steph Curry and a few others can consistently hit 40% from three. So let's just have everybody shoot threes, because three is better than two, right? Sure. Until that night you shoot 10% from three, and you really don't have any other skill set. So to go back to that guy's text message, the problem is not many basketball players have another skill set. All they're really taught is shoot three. Seven-footer, shoot three. Six-ten, shoot threes. Threes better than two. So if you're a 35% three-point shooter, which isn't all that good, it'll be good enough. You'll get a job. Shoot threes. You know, yeah, some guys get hit with excellent launch angle and have great exit velocity. Yeah, Mike Trout. (laughs) Right? Bryce Harper. You know how many guys are Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and Juan Soto? Five. So let's teach everybody to hit like Mike Trout and Juan Soto. Next thing you know, you got a game with a bunch of guys that can't hit. Now you got a game with a bunch of guys that can't shoot. So go back to that guy's text message. You're right. Why do they keep going to the three? That's all they know, dude. They can't put the ball on the floor. They can't take the ball to the basket. They know how to play one way. These guys are very one-dimensional. It's like if I can't hit a home run, I might as well strike out. from am a right-handed hitter, huh, why would I hit the ball to right field? Can't do that. Got to hit a home run. Adam checks in. As bad as the Sixers have been, these games are winnable. They aren't missing a big score. The Heat have trouble scoring 100 points consistently. As good as the Heat have been, they barely score over 100 points. The Sixers need to limit the second chance points and rebound. Well, not having Embiid's a big factor there, and you put DeAndre Jordan out there, and he's been an albatross. He's been abysmal defensively. So, yeah, I get your point. The Heat are not a great scoring team. You've turned them, and they scored 120 points last night. What was it, 119? 119 points last night. 609 403 More text messages? I think, uh, let's see. Speaking of launch angle and modern baseball movement, it shows you that Ryan Howard missed his ideal point in the league by 10 years. He used to be a 50 home run guy with a bunch of strikeouts, but the RBIs and production made up for it. They wanted him to be an all around batter and his career suffered. Now, only a handful of years later, he would be an ideal player. Yeah. I mean, you hit 222, but hit 35 homers. You're pretty damn good in this league. You know, the Phillies are hitting 244 as a team. I think it's seventh best in the league. I mean, come on, man. If you are somebody who teaches hitting, can you imagine being like, I'm a hitting teacher, I I teach hitting, and this the seventh best hitting team in baseball hits two forty-four with the strategy that I'm teaching? I mean, what are we doing, man? What are we doing? 244 I saw the Phillies are hitting as a team. It's horrible. Horrible. 244? But hey, they're, they're actually eighth now after they're tied for seventh with the with the Angels. Colorado's hitting 262 as a team. That's the best in baseball. The Mets are next at 257. Think about that. the fourth best hitting team in the league is hitting 249. They're under 250. They don't they get one hit in four at bats. Ridiculous. Uh, Mike if the Sixers could just stop giving up offensive boards this could be a 1-1 series right now. Yeah the problem is they got to go zone. They don't have big guards so they're not rebounding. They don't get the long rebound. That long rebound has killed them in this series. They don't have the big guy in the middle so when that rebound comes off they can go up and get it. How many balls are missing long? 6094030973 You know, a lot of people look at game three and say Embiid's coming back. I don't know that he's coming back. I mean, it feels pretty good, but I wouldn't be surprised. You get your hopes up, you get your hopes up, and it's like, well, he's not going to play. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to win this game. The Sixers should be able to win a game without Joel Embiid against this Heat team. I talked about this yesterday. This Heat team is not... There's no LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosch coming out on the floor. It's a good Heat team. Not great. Come on. So, got some more text messages coming in. 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, you can message us through the app on your phone. Three o'clock hour Bob Wankel talks Phillies. Their launch angle didn't get it done last night. They scored one run. They actually had one run taken away. And they lost two to one to the Rangers. They get swept by the Texas. Rangers, They start a four-game set with the Mets. The big one, 18-9 Mets, 11-14 Phillies. It's an important series. We'll talk about it with Bob at 325 today on the sport, about 330 today on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Game three, Friday night, 7 o'clock, right here on 97.3 ESPN. And then game four is on Sunday night at 8 o'clock, right here on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. I want to hear from you. Couple ways to do it. Text board 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. If you're listening on the free mobile app, message us through the app on your phone. And of course, you can always give us a call 609 573 3776. 609 573 3776. More sports bash on the way. Now, back to the
0: speed. ESPN.
1: 249. Download the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You can message us through the app on your phone. If you want to hit us up on the text board, you can do that as well. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Mike, they were also rebounded against Toronto Also. I'd like to see what the the split was on that. I mean, they might have been out-rebounded against uh, Toronto. They shot the lights out, though, Philadelphia did, uh, for most of those games. You shoot 40%, you're going to get out-rebounded. Okay, I hit 40% of my threes, put me in the game. I don't know what Philadelphia shot in that series overall. They shot over 40%, I think, for the six games. Um, This is a make-or-miss league. Everybody likes to make sports so hard. Stop complicating sports. Sports is simple. When you try to make it too hard, we're trying to find numbers that make the right number. You made a lot of shots against Toronto. Okay, they got more rebounds, but you made a lot of shots. When you make shots, you get points. You don't get points for rebounding. You give the team more opportunities to score points, and if you're not making your shots, you're not getting any points. It's a pretty simple game, guys. Sports are easy. You want to keep making it harder. Let's just keep adding numbers and more analytics and more numbers. And let's just keep finding numbers and churning out the numbers. Sometimes we just look for ways to make things complicated. Uh, Mike, I blame Maury again. The roster's not good enough. mori failed in the buyout market. I don't think there was a guy in the buyout. What guy in the buyout market is helping a team in the playoffs right now? Did I miss one? Is there a guy in the buyout? The buyout market this year was inconsequential. There's not one guy in the buyout market that would have helped the Sixers team out that I'm remembering. Maybe I forget one. Is there a guy, Josh, that was in the buyout market that I forgot?
2: The only guy who you could have gotten that you didn't sign, because you signed half of them already, was Enos Canner freedom He was the only other guy left. Okay. You signed Basically, you signed DeAndre Jordan instead of Enos. Big whoop. I don't think that would have made, made much of a difference.
1: No, I mean, but I'm, I'm asking. I, I
2: He's the only one I can think of.
1: Drogic was a buyout guy, but I don't think he would have been a guy that helped the Sixers with their lacking. he was already going
2: to go to the Nets. That was like a, that was like a foregone conclusion. My,
1: and the, my point is, which guy in the buyout market? He's saying that Maury, he said, I put the blame on Maury. The roster's not good enough. He failed in the buyout market. Which guy's in the buyout market?
2: Where Maury failed to me is when you made the Harden trade you should have had another trade lined up where you maybe trade away some draft picks to get a guy or two you don't wait for the buyout market to me the, if you want to blame morry for anything i felt like the sixers made the harden trade then went to happy hour they had, a, they had another 90 minutes till the trade deadline
1: no he texted gary harris gary harris was it in the buyout market
2: I think he was, but he got picked up pretty quick.
1: No, 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 no. He played – Gary Harris played in Orlando. He didn't get bought out by – he didn't get released by Orlando. Nobody – if he did, he ended the season in Orlando. Nobody picked him up. Gary Harris was not a buyout guy. If Gary Harris was on the buyout market, then, yeah, you should have gone out and got him.
2: Yeah, Gary Harris was not a buyout guy. Yeah,
1: that's bad information uh, there. Um – there wasn't a guy on the buyout market. Again, if there was a guy on the buyout market, I probably would have said, "Hey, they should have got this guy. He would have helped them out." Uh, Gary Harris would have been a guy. He was not available in the buyout market. I don't. I don't know. Maybe there's. A, is there a guy that is in the buyout market that somebody else had that they signed and they, he's helping that team win right now? I can't think of one.
2: I mean, Dragic is in the playoffs anymore. Nets got knocked out. Um I can't think of anybody.
1: I mean The buyout market this year was just insignificant. There was a very people keep weak,
2: wanting to blame Mori and I mean, it's Boogie, again Boogie Cousins was in the buyout market.
1: Was he a buyout guy or is he just waived? Or is he just like a free agent?
2: Well, so what he happened. Well what happened was he was in Milwaukee on a bunch of ten days. They didn't bring him back, then the Nuggets brought him in on a couple of ten days and then signed him for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. But Listen, there was a point where he was technically. Maury deserves a free agent.
1: some blame. But to say this whole thing is Maury's fault, you just don't like Maury. Maury got here and was handcuffed by Al Horford and Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris and all of those contracts. Daryl Maury has not been able to do anything since he's got here. He has had no cap space. To blame Maury is just saying, I don't like Maury. To not say, hey, look, they got Al Horford out of here they got Richardson out of here so they got out from under those contracts Maury should now have the ability to get out from some more of these contracts the first thing that he had to do when he got here was get out of some of the bad contracts that were signed by Elton Brand so yes Maury hasn't built a good enough team but you also have to realize you can't just sign guys there's a salary cap And to get your ability to do things, you have to get to that cap. So they had to get Al Horford out of here. Can you imagine if Al Horford was still there now? Right now, Al Horford would help as the backup center, but he didn't help. He can't play with Embiid. We already saw that. So they got Horford out of here. Josh Richardson was not a fit for this team. Morey got him out of here. But what do you expect him to do with this team? Tobias Harris' contract has them handcuffed. He's not a miracle worker. You don't snap your fingers and just change the complexion of the roster overnight, which somehow he actually did. But to blame Maury is just saying, I want to be a contrarian that just doesn't like Maury. Which, you stay on that side of the fence, pal. You sound like a fool and look like one too by saying that.
0: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
3: Number
1: two Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, yes. the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sixers tomorrow night right here on 97.3 ESPN. We'll take you uh, up till uh, 6 o'clock tonight. Josh has game night. Is that tonight, Keith Pompey, tonight? All right, Pompey tonight. All right, give me the numbers um, from the uh, Toronto series that you uh, were digging up over there.
2: So in the four wins the Sixers had, they out-rebounded Toronto in every game. They were plus three in the rebounds in game one, plus six in game two, plus 14 in game three and then plus 10 in game six. In the games they lost, they were minus three and minus five in rebounding. Mm -hmm. Shooting-wise, they shot a minimum of 51% from the field in all four wins. In the two losses, they shot 38 and 42.5% in the two losses. So, basically, if they can get the rebounds and shoot at least 50% from the field, they can win. Sounds like a normal basketball (laughs) team.
1: Well, somebody had said that they got out-rebounded by the Raptors.
2: Only two games.
1: You said that they out-rebounded the Raptors in the four wins. Correct.
2: Yeah. Only the two losses were they out-rebounded by the Raptors. Gotcha.
1: So, moral of the story, shoot better and rebound, and you'll
2: win. Basically. Sounds like a, a simple basketball strategy.
1: We like to make things difficult. But, listen, this is a team that is not put together very well. That's not a secret. This is a team that was not put together well previously. Correct. They had the whole bully ball team that they tried to put together with Al Horford and Joel Embiid and that. Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson. That team was not constructed for today's NBA. To get out of that mess, it was going to take a couple of seasons. Take some creativity. So they got rid of Horford. They got rid of Richardson. All right. And in return, they got Curry, who was a nice player. Uh, they got some flexibility with Horford. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The Horford trade did that get net them Tyrese Maxey? Something with Oklahoma City got them Tyrese Maxey, right?
2: Um, let me double check Tyrese Maxey's basketball reference. Like, what was
1: the path that they got Maxey? Because that was obtained from a draft pick that was not the Sixers. So, look, I get it. You want to blame Mori and the construction of this roster? He drafted Maxi. So the one guy that he drafted is the, the one Montel guy
2: that... The Markel deal. The Fultz deal is where the Maxi pick... Technically, it was a Sixers pick all along. Because... In 2016, the maxi pick was traded by OKC with Urson Ilyasova to Philadelphia. It was then later traded by Philadelphia to Orlando as part of a bunch of pick swaps. Then later, Orlando traded back to Philadelphia in the Markell Fultz deal. That's how you got Maxi.
1: Hmm.
2: Now the Horford trade—that's separately. By Mexico, the way,
1: Maxi drafted by Mori.
2: Correct. Mm-hmm. That was his first draft pick.
1: So now, apparently, Maury can't evaluate talent, and he's the problem. Okay, this sounds like a new story here. Maury's the problem.
2: The return for Horford was Terrence Ferguson, Danny Green, Vincent Poitier, a 2025 first-round pick that is top six protected. That's a lot going on there.
1: So 1st round pick. So most of it was cap flexibility,
2: correct? Because and Danny
1: Green. Horford was was signed to like a five year deal, right?
2: Right, and then OKC parlayed him in the Boston trade.
1: Right, so you got rid of the five year. Was it a four or five year deal for Horford?
2: Uh, I think it was four for one hundred six. Let me double check. So you you
1: got rid of him. To basically get Danny Green back, and I know people don't like Danny Green either, but that was just a way to kind of lessen the amount of years you had to pay.
2: Four years one oh nine. Okay, so was four,
1: close. four years one oh nine. You got out from underneath that contract, and in return you got Danny Green.
2: Danny Green and cap flexibility. And
1: cap flexibility, right. So right. I mean you want to blame Mori that's fine. You're talking about you're blaming somebody that really has nothing to do with this roster. I mean the roster that they have here. The one guy that Maury put on the roster is Maxie. Right? What yes. other guy has Maury – you're saying the roster construction is terrible. What guy has Maury put on this – the only guys that Maury has he put added on this Niang roster. Niang in
2: free agency.
1: Right, because they had no money to spend because they're handcuffed. They have no cap flexibility. So you, you had have, to go get Niang.
2: You traded a guy in Ben Simmons who didn't play an entire year for a guy who is playing in James Harden. Right, and
1: the jury's out on the Harden trade. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't love the Harden trade. People are like, oh, this is the – what was he going to do? Ben Simmons didn't want to be here. So everybody out there screaming, you had to trade Ben Simmons. You have to do it now. You have to do it now. You can't waste – It was the best deal you could have gotten. Well, maybe – even if it wasn't the best deal you are going to get, if I told you at the beginning of the year, Ben Simmons doesn't want to be here, everybody thinks he can't play – Everybody thinks you can't get anything in return. Mm-hmm. And you got James Harden. Are you going to say Daryl Morey you shouldn't do that move? I mean, it's easy to be armchair quarterback hindsight 2020 and say that, well, Harden doesn't look like the same player. Therefore, this is all on Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey probably didn't want to trade make the trade. They wouldn't have made a trade if Ben Simmons didn't want to leave. But Ben Simmons wanted to leave. So, I agree. I didn't like having to trade Ben Simmons. I would rather have Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond. I have been pretty consistent on that from the start. If you ask me, what would you rather have? I would rather have Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond. You would be better off with that team. Even if Simmons isn't playing, you'd be in the same position you are in right now, probably. You might even have won a game in down there in Miami. But I'm not going to sit here and say this is Maury's fault because Ben Simmons didn't want to be here. And you made a trade for somebody who 95% of people would say, yeah, you got to make that trade because Ben Simmons doesn't want to be here.
2: Mike, isn't also part of the problem this whole conversation is that, you know, people just want someone to blame. Well, it, right. It's the old concept of we got to point the finger at somebody. Listen, somebody's the boogeyman, so we're going to make it this guy.
1: Look at this roster right now and then ask yourself, how is this Maury's fault? Matisse Theibel was drafted by Brand. Brand. Paul Reed was drafted by Maury. Second round pick, yeah. He was the third to last pick of the draft. You're getting something from the third to last pick in the draft. Kudos. All right? That's though I'm saying. that's To have a guy that the fans want to see more play from and that can actually contribute to your team, that tells me Maury's a pretty good talent evaluator. Charles Bassey's another guy that he drafted late in the second round. Now, I don't know if he can play or not because they're not giving him an opportunity. Tyrese Maxey was drafted by who? Maury. Maury. The rest of the guys on this team were drafted by somebody else or acquired by somebody else. Uh, Joel Embiid obviously was a hanky pick. Correct. Tobias Harris was traded by Brand. Elton Brand. Cork Maz was drafted by I don't know Hinky. Colangelo. Colangelo or Hinky?
2: It was Colangelo because that was Milton
1: was drafted by either Brett Brown or that was
2: I think that was either Brett Brown or Elton Brown. I have double check.
1: So how is this the how is this the general manager's fault that that's the roster that he was inherited from? Now you could say well. He, What are you going to just give these guys away that nobody wants? What are you getting in return for Furkan Korkmaz? What are you getting in return for Danny Green? What are you getting in return for any of these guys? It's easy to sit here and bitch about, well, the GM could have done more. What was he doing? What was he going to do? What The trades that he made, he won all those trades. He traded Al Horford away and got out of that mess. And now his contract is off the books. They traded Josh Richardson away who couldn't play in today's NBA, can't shoot, and... Can't put the ball on the floor. So they got rid of him and got Curry back in return. So how is this, in somebody's warped mind, how is this the fault of the general manager? Like, the team is not well put together, but the team hasn't been well put together for a long time. Someone's not going to just come in, pixie dust, snap their fingers, and get out from under these contracts. Like, in a perfect world... Nobody would assign Tobias Harris to the deal that he has. Now, I'm not saying Tobias Harris is the problem. He's actually played pretty well. This isn't like, hey, Tobias Harris, you stink. But that contract has handcuffed you to do anything. You can't do anything with that contract. You couldn't do anything with Ben Simmons' contract sitting on the bench the whole season. So you couldn't sign anybody. What did you want them to do? I get it. The team is not deep enough. You can obviously see the disparity in benches. They have a guy in Duncan Robinson not playing at all, and he's better than everybody you bring off the bench. But what, what, where were they doing something different with the handcuffed contracts that they had on this team?
2: Listen, I know there's some, somebody out there who's going to say, well, you shouldn't have re-signed Corkmaz. To which my answer is, well, who were you going to sign then? And that's part of the problem. You know, every time you want to fire a coach, I can't stand this guy. Who are you replacing him with? I don't know. I didn't want. I didn't want this guy on the roster. Who are you replacing him with? I don't know. You got to come up with solutions. Well, Maz isn't
1: making any money. He's not like when you're saying like, "Hey, this is his fault." You're you're pointing at the construction of the roster. I, I will blame Mori for having four centers on the roster, none of which can play.
2: Right, and that's why I go back to. On, on the day of the trade deadline when you traded for Harden you should have had another trade lined up to fill the void of the players that you traded away for Harden. You could have thrown in some random draft pick or some random player to get some other random dude. If you want to blame Maury for that fine but th- the buyout market was nothing and the most in this roster he's handcuffed like you said Mike.
1: Right the, the buyout market there was like the most years you say oh you can get somebody in the buyout market but by the way Give me a guy that's ever been acquired in the buyout market that's won a championship. Like, who's been a guy that you signed in the buyout market and he joined a team and that team went on to win? First off, number two, how many teams make a trade the magnitude that the Sixers did at the trade deadline and then that team goes on to win a championship?
2: Very rarely.
1: Very rarely or zero. I mean, mean, when has a team acquired a player of James Harden's magnitude at the trade deadline, and then that team won the championship.
2: I mean, the only one I can think of, I double check the dates, but I think. Rasheed Wallace to that's, the Pistons? That's the one that When did I, that happen? That's when Moses was out. wearing short pants? <laughs> Come on. That happened the last 20 years. You know, 20 me.
1: years ago, I was in high school. I was in college 20, having fun. 20 years ago. Not even. 20 years ago, I was out of college. Damn oh, yeah. it. I'm that old that I was out of college for been out of college for 20 years. <laughs> Jesus, but seriously, I would say this: if you're blaming Maury, you're well, frustrated he, by the fact that you don't the, the way the trade is going out.
2: Yeah, Rashid didn't win the championship the year they traded for him; that was two years later. So it took Detroit after they got Rashid two years to actually win the chip.
1: Right. If if you are blaming Maury, you're frustrated because of the Harden trade. You're not looking at the big picture of the roster and saying this team has been handcuffed by the previous group of GM's mistakes. So Maury, think of Maury like a college football coach Here who comes I in. Found one. All right, hold on. Think of Maury like a college football coach who comes in and the first couple of years he doesn't have his group of recruits through the process. He's still playing with the former coach's recruits. Right. And that first year, they look a little clunky. And then the next year, he has a couple of his recruits, and he gets some of his JUCO transfers. That third year, Maury will be going into his third year this offseason. This is when you can start to judge Maury in this offseason. What does he do with Harden? What does he do with Tobias Harris's contract? Mm -hmm. Now that the Ben Simmons contract is off your books, what do you do with some of that freedom? You can't sit here and judge a team that has been capped out and say, well, you really did a bad job putting this team together. Like in the offseason, what were they going to do? Where was a guy? You know, this guy texted, Maury resigned Danny Green and Quirk Miles. He could have done better. Who were they getting? I told you that
2: guy was out there. I told you there was somebody out there to say that. Who
1: was coming here? Exactly. All right. If you're telling me. Okay, yes. You can tell me all you want, Danny Green and Maz. you could have done better. Give me a guy who signed for the money they signed for somewhere else. Because keep in mind, those two players both played for the Sixers. So their money when you sign them back doesn't count against the cap. It's not affected because you're re-signing your own player. Right. You can't bring a guy in here Right, They had no cap space. You can go over the cap if you're re-signing your own player. So you just told me Danny Green and corkmaz you could have done better. Give me an example of a guy who they could have signed for the money that Green and Korkmaz got but signed someplace else and that the money would have fit. Remember, the Sixers were capped out. They had no money under the cap. They could not sign free agents because they were over the cap. All they could do was re-sign their own free agents and go over the cap. Right. So, again, this is a person who just doesn't understand the rules. Yeah, you could have done better, but the previous regime had you capped out. Now, if you want to say you don't like the Harden trade, that you could have got a better deal, you're assuming that trades were offered that – and by the way, I don't know that C.J. McCollum is any better than what Harden would be. C.J. McCollum would be a disaster defensively. He is smaller than Harden. He's the same size as Maxi. You'd be getting crushed on the boards. And look, McCollum had a great playoff series. He's eliminated. He's not playing anymore. Why? That team was not very good defensively. So it's easy to say C.J. McCollum's better than Harden. He's better on that team if you would have brought CJ McCollum here you're going to play CJ McCollum and Tyrese Maxey together in the backcourt
2: they're like the same size
1: you're going to get crushed you're going to get absolutely got a big
2: enough body to bang
1: you would get absolutely crushed rebounding the ball you would get absolutely crushed defending on the perimeter McCollum's a horrible defender and and look Harden's not a great defender but as you just said he's 6'5" he has a little bit of length he has a little bit of size McCollum there's a reason why McCollum gets knocked out of the playoffs. He's a good player. I'm not knocking McCollum. But you pair him up with Maxie, that would be a disaster in the backcourt. Yeah, you'd have two guys that could score at will, but they couldn't stop anybody and they can't rebound. We're talking today about the team can't rebound. Now you want to bring in a smaller
2: guard? The problem is is that when you have four of your five starters who are already set, Harden, Maxie, Harris, and Bede, the fifth guy is just ill-equipped for this. what this team needs because you've been flip-floppy back-forth between Danny Green and Matisse Thiebel. And neither one of them really fit what you need from the fifth guy on this team. And you're not going to fix that until this upcoming offseason anyway.
1: Yeah, uh, you mentioned Halliburton. Look, Halliburton was traded so early on in the process, who knows if they ever actually offered him to the Sixers.
2: Well, the, the, all the reports were is that he was not offered. For the Sixers, there it was, uh, De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hield and a couple other pieces. right. The whole
1: point was that Sacramento didn't want to trade Halliburton. Every, now every, you could say, how did Indiana all of a sudden convince them to do it?
2: Well, they gave them more than the Sixers were willing to. Basically.
1: Right. I don't. Well, the Sixers were going to give Ben Simmons, but, yeah,
2: but what the, else were they going to give with it? But the Kings the basically said, look, so bonus plus pieces was more valuable to us than right. Ben Simmons. You can't just pieces. throw out
1: names that you think may have been available. There's
2: no report out there that said the Sixers had a chance to get Halliburton. No reputable report. Right, And again, I'm not saying Maury makes
1: 100% decisions that are the right ones. I didn't like the—I've said over and over, I think the Nets won the trade. And I think Chris Carlin, who has said it, filling in for Greeny the last couple of the days, is right. Both teams lost the trade. Nobody won the deal. The Sixers didn't win the deal. The Nets didn't win the deal. For God's sakes, Ben Simmons is having back surgery now. So nobody won that deal. But to say that and this is all Maury's fault because he traded for James Harden, one of the 75 greatest players of all time. Well, you should have known he was cooked. How? How would you know James Harden was cooked? He didn't play.
2: By the way, so you were asking about trade deadline deals that paid off. So I went through a list of 20 on this website. So here's your deal. The best one that ever worked out was Clyde Drexler being traded by Portland to Houston. All right. And Houston won the championship that year. That was the year they were the You're going back to the 80s, 90s.
1: 95. 95. Right, right,
2: right. The other one that worked out was Pau Gasol. The year he was traded from Memphis to the Lakers, they lost in the NBA Finals to the Celtics. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two I could find on this list that were trade deadline deals where the team got to the NBA Finals.
1: And you're just talking about going to the Finals, not even winning it.
2: Yeah, one won and
1: 1 lost. I would say, it doesn't happen. You don't make a trade in season, incorporate that guy, and then, by the way, lose the MVP of the league... And then expect to win.
2: Like I mean, yes, I know Matumbo's here at the deadline. I'm not counting him as in the same category as Drexler and Gasol. Well, Matumbo is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, but he doesn't have the offensive pedigree. You know, the whole point of Harden is he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. He's been a league leader in assists. You know, Clyde Drexler. He's one of the greatest scorers of all time. Paul Gasol is one of the best offensive skilled big men in NBA history. Right. So, to me, Matumbo is. He was a defensive guy on a team that Larry Brown maximized every piece of sweat coming out of George Lynch's brow to help get that team the NBA finals.
1: Right. So the Sixers <laughs> traded for Harden. When was that?
2: Day of the deadline. When was that? February 7th? His
1: first game with the Sixers was February the twenty fifth. Right? I'm pulling up the exact February twenty fifth, they played Minnesota. He didn't play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in a row.
2: February so, 10th
1: was the trade. All right. So February 10th, he got traded. He didn't play eight games in a row. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So he didn't play for eight straight games. In the games that he played, okay, previous to getting traded to Philadelphia, On January 25th, he played. He scored 33 points and had 12 rebounds, and he had 11 assists. So some idiot is going to tell me that they should have saw that he was cooked. All right? The game before that, he had 37 minutes. He He scored 37 points. He had 10 rebounds, and he had 11 assists. So again... I watch him score 37 points, and all of a sudden, I think he's cooked. The game before that, he scored 27 points and had 15 assists. You're telling me I watch that game and I say, man, this guy looks cooked. The game before that, he scored 26 points and had nine assists and seven rebounds. The game before that, he scored 25 points and had 16 assists. He played 43 minutes and scored 26 points and had 12 rebounds. He had 40 minutes and scored 34 points and had 13 rebounds. He had 39 minutes and scored 33 points and had 10 assists. He had 40 minutes and scored 39 points. He had a streak of games where he scored 36, 39, 33, and 34. He had 10 assists, 15, 10, and 13 in those games. So at what point would you have watched that game and said, he's cooked? anybody. Now, the question you should be asking is, well, where's that guy that just did that two months ago for the Nets? These are games that just happened. James Harden this year scored 30 points or more in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He had nine games where he scored over 30 points with the Nets. Nine games where he scored over 30
2: points with the Nets. And you're telling me? Daryl Morey should have known he was cooked. But here's the problem I have with that, that philosophy, Mike, really quick. The value of Harden wasn't just his scoring. Harden the last few years has been tops in the league in assists and points created off of assists. Two of the top analytic stats out there. You brought him here to be Embiid's sidekick, not to be a primary scorer. And in the games where he has at least eight assists in a game the last two years, his team almost a 63% winning percentage.
1: And think about this. We're blaming Mori for the way the team is built because they've lost two games without Joel Embiid. Did you think you're going to win a game in the playoffs against the number one seed on the road without Joel Embiid? What are we talking about here? What are we talking about? Hey, when we come back, the Phillies have a big series with the Mets. We'll explain why. Bob
0: Wankel next. Now. Back to Morse on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey sports leader. All
1: right, everybody, welcome back. Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN. All the Sixers, woes, they're coming back home. But the Phillies, don't forget about the Fightings, They're back home as well. Take it on the Mets. It's an important four-game series, Bob, here in the month of May. Bob Wankel crossing broad, covers the Phillies. And, you know, you don't typically talk about an important series in May, but you're playing the Mets again. You're going to play them, obviously, 13 times in a very short span. And it looks like the Mets are going to try to run away and hide. If you don't win this series, should we be uh, concerned? Is this a concerning type of series? Six games back, starting tonight, against the Metropolitans.
4: Yeah, smart baseball. People always want to say you you can't uh, slam the panic button in May. And it's, it's early, and there's a lot of games to be left. And they'll point to teams like... Last year's Braves, uh, you know, who got off to a slow start and went on the World season. and that's great. That's fine. Um, no, no problem with that. It's true to an extent. But bottom line is the Phillies have lost six of their first eight series. Uh, they have lost four of their first six games to the Mets. They're six games back right now. They are not inspiring a ton of confidence. They're on a 71-win pace entering this Mets series. It's time to go, and uh, I think that this is a massive series for the Phillies. as massive of a series you can get in the beginning of May.
1: Massive series after a two-game sweep against a pretty bad Rangers team. So you're coming into this series with a bad taste in your mouth. Aaron Nola gets the start versus uh, Walker tonight. Uh, Give me the skinny on what you've seen from Walker uh, through, I mean, uh, Nola through his first uh, couple starts here.
4: (sighs) I mean, listen, he was a little bit up and down those first few times for the rotation, but the last few times out, he's been pretty good. Now, the Phillies aren't winning his starts, and, and that's been problematic, but even going back in the last weekend where they were no hit, he gave him six innings, three runs prior to that. Uh, he had a, a pretty good start, and he was good in Colorado. And so, you know, Aaron Nola, I think, has sort of quieted some of the concerns. The problem is, you know, the Phillies are putting out Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. They've been out on the mound ten times for them this season, and they're two and eight when those guys start. And at some point, you have to start winning when your best pitchers are on the mound, and that's kind of been a little bit of an overlooked issue for this Phillies team.
1: Bob, uh, obviously, and you tweeted that out yesterday. Through twenty-five games, the Phillies are on pace to win seventy-one games. Part of that is, as you tweet, two and eight when Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola start. Uh, you talk about the urgency in this series. What's that say for the manager?
4: Well, uh, I'm a, a big believer that the energy of a baseball team and the tone that a clubhouse takes is set by the manager. And I don't know that it's entirely fair in isolation to criticize Joe Girardi for you know two weeks ago on Sunday night baseball not going crazy on Angel Hernandez. I don't know that it's un, uh, you know it's fair uh, to criticize him on this past Sunday night for not getting into it with the Mets when Al Boom gets hit, you know? But I think that people are looking for him to provide a spark. And I do think it's a fair criticism to say, when you look back over the last two-plus seasons, that he too often doesn't seem to bring that energy to a team, that he's had opportunities to kind of inject some life into this team, and it hasn't happened. And when you watch the way that they play, just far too often, they they look so lackadaisical, they look so... Robotic, just sort of going through the motions. And it's it's hard when you look at Joe Girardi and his personality and the way that he sort of handles himself to not say that there's some correlation between the two.
1: Bob, um, you talk about the manager and this uninspiring start and all of that, um, which, you know, it, it, it definitely plays a role. But what about the lineup shuffles? I mean, where do you stand on that, all that? I mean, the other day he made a pretty drastic change with – Schwaber going back to the leadoff, he hits boom two. He really shakes it up, and then the very next day he's got boom hitting leadoff. Schwaber back down. Um, how much of this? It seems that every day it's Russian roulette of the of the lineup here.
4: Well, if you want to go back to the idea of urgency and having urgency, the one place that you probably can say that he's shown it is with his lineup construction. I mean, he's juggling this lineup because he's looking to find a way to to spark it on a consistent basis. You know, the Phillies flash occasionally in certain games, but they've not been able to consistently plate runs this season. And I know when you take a macro look at it, you step back, you say, oh, they're still in the top half of the league in OPS and in batting average, and there's a lot of offensive metrics that grade out positively. But, you know, you watch it. We can talk about the ball not carrying as well, offense being down around the game. This is a very disjointed lineup right now. And so I think Joe Girardi and his lineups and the constant shuffling is sort of an admission that this isn't good enough. I know it. And I don't have the answer. I think that that's what we're seeing with this lineup. Now, you could say that the constant shuffling and the lack of stability in the lineup has an adverse impact. And that's part of the reason they're struggling. But, you know, you look at guys on an individual basis. Kyle Schwarber did not perform when he was in the leadoff spot. You have to move him out. Hey, maybe Gene Segura can do it up top. He's been terrible. You know, JT Real Muto, he's kind of just sort of feeling his way through it. So I don't think that he's found the answer yet. And so that's why you're seeing what you're seeing right now.
1: Right. As you mentioned, they've tried different things. There doesn't seem to be an answer, though. So what do you do when there is no leadoff guy? You can't just take it out in that spot, Right.
4: Yeah, I mean, so I think that what, what you're hoping for, if, if you look at these first 25 games and say, listen, it's not going to be this bad. It is early. They will, they'll get it together. You can feel good about the way that, that Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola have thrown the ball right now. I know the bullpen hasn't been lights out, but it has been substantially better than it has been past years. They've done a pretty nice job. I know last night they lose the game late, but I didn't think that that was on Brad Hand whatsoever. I mean, he made a nice pitch, ball falls in. You know, that those things are going to happen when you have, you know, inferior defenders all over the field. Um But then you step back and look at the offensive side of things and say you have hitters with resumes that are established that you know at the end of the season the numbers one way or another are going to get there. And so when you combine all three of those facets together, you figure that this team will eventually start to find its footing and play better. The The problem is, as you kind of alluded to, you're coming into this series, and if you don't find a way to win it, you could be talking, uh, you know, hey, we're we're eight games out If you here. got swept conceivably, you're 10 you're out. Ten. Right. And so you lose three out of four, you're eight. And if you split, which I think is almost a reasonable expectation, you're still six back. And oh, by the way, take a look at the schedule and what's coming up the rest of the month. And my goodness, there aren't many breaks in there. So the Phillies are in a tough spot right now.
1: Um, Their defense and their bullpen were big questions coming into the season. How have they played a role to where they currently sit uh, in the standings?
4: Well, it's not the play, you know, people fixate on Alec Boom, the three-error game. I know he had a tough one in the opener against the Rangers. It cost him a run or two. might have been the difference in the game. But it's not necessarily the errors that the Phillies make. It's the, the lack of ability to cover the field. And, you know, having Kyle Schwarber in left and Nick Castellanos in right, that wasn't the plan. You know, not that, that Bryce Harper is a gold-glove defender, but he's markedly better than than nick castellanos and it's not a a knock on the player he's being asked to do something that he theoretically shouldn't be asked to 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 do so when you have guys in your corner outfield positions that just don't get to balls that most league average outfielders will get to it, it, it piles up over time you know i mean it's it's a real problem right now and then you have some I would say inconsistencies in the infield for sure. You know, you still don't know what you're going to get from Alec Bohm. The first baseman plays below average defense. And so I think that that's really been, and we all kind of assumed this a month ago, it was going to be the biggest problem. To me, it has been the biggest problem. As far as the bullpen goes, just look across baseball. I mean, there are very few shutdown bullpens. I think that the Phillies bullpen has been fine, I would say, thus far. I would say it's been adequate. It hasn't been great. It hasn't been an absolute killer.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I said their bullpen is improved. The problem is, like the other night, when you have bases loaded and you have to go to Alvarado, Alvarado is fine in that moment sometimes. Just the (laughs) lack of consistency. And when he's your guy, hey, we need a strikeout. I'm bringing in a guy who's got a whip of about two half the time. That's where it's like, if that's your guy – Other teams have that guy to wiggle out of that jam, and the Phillies have that guy to wiggle out of that jam sometimes. Just not enough. And at that point, I'm like, he got out of it the one night, but he went back to Alvarado the next time, and he can't get out of it. And that, to me, is the sign of your bullpen's better, but in the moment, when I need you, I still am just not good enough.
4: Yeah, I think that that's an absolutely, uh, you know, or I think absolutely that that is a fair criticism. I mean, you look at the Phillies, uh, bullpen ERA right now, they come into this Mets series, uh, 21st in baseball, which again, nothing to write home about, but three point, I know, um, you know, advanced metrics say that they're actually a little bit better than that. Whatever. Nobody probably wants to hear that right now. And you're right. I mean, listen, Jose Alvarado two, three times a week in super high leverage spots is probably not going to end up working out long term. Right.
1: Um, so well, and it's like I just, they're not bl- they're not blowing saves like they've been in the years past. That's not what's getting them. It's OK. In the sixth inning, I got bases loaded and it's a three three game and I'm losing the game in that spot. So I'm not blowing the save. My closer's done a nice job and we're not blowing games in the ninth but I still didn't build the, the bullpen in front of this closer well enough to hold a game in the sixth or seventh.
4: And you know what it really comes back to? The fact that they're not hitting. I mean, they're just not hitting. And the idea was that they were going to out-hit these deficiencies, you know, we knew coming in that this wasn't going to be a shutdown bullpen, but you figured that they would be able to tackle on runs. They, You know, you have a 5-2 lead, maybe you give up one or two in those middle innings, but then late you're going to run away from teams. That You figured you would see six, seven, eight runs multiple times per week. I mean, how many times, Mike, this season have you seen a team come out and score one run, get shut out, two runs? I mean, it's, it's happening in roughly one-third of their games. Yeah, well, so- I, I think I
1: saw... What, the Phillies are hitting 244, and that's seventh best in the league?
4: Yeah. I expect to to see baseball sort of auto-correct itself uh, maybe sometime in the next month. If you're a betting guy, I would start taking overs about two or three weeks from now because everyone's going to say, all right, the ball doesn't carry the same. It's a different baseball. It's, you know, scoring's depressed around the league right now. I, I think that baseball is looking at this and going, this isn't making for a, a fantastic product. We might need to make a in-season change here.
1: Just, All right. to, just a hunch. All right. You heard it from Bob Wankle, <laughs> See, that, <ball."> That's not
4: <laughs> just like me with a tinfoil hat on either. I've talked to some people around the game who uh, very much believe this. To be right. Just game.
1: to explain to people, the ball is different. What's different about the ball? We've heard a lot about it.
4: Uh, You know, whether it's uh, the the mud that's being used from the Delaware River, uh, the the humidor effect uh, is kind of what it's referred to. It's just taking the flight and the carry out of the ball. You saw Reese Hoskins last night drive a ball out the center and the camera kind of caught him retreating to the dugout and sort of had his hands in the air air saying, like, "How, how did that not go out? you're just seeing the ball has no jump this year. Balls would probably be three, four rows deeper, landing five feet in front of the fence right now.
1: Hey, uh, real quick, Moniac, whenever he's back, is he a part of this? Is he going to go back to AAA? Has the center field been adequate without him? Wh- wh- what's going to happen there? Well, you know, Duble
4: Herrera didn't play much this past week against the Rangers because of allergies. Uh, up I until have a guy for that,
1: we'll- by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah.
4: Uh, I know that people are very frustrated with him and his presence on this team, but in a limited spot, again, some of the, the mental lapses aside, he's he's been a fairly productive hitter for this team. So I, I don't know if that's your guy from a platoon standpoint from the left side. Is there a place for Mickey Moniak? I, I guess that he's probably going to have to take some some at bats at AAA and kind of prove that he's worthy of being up here. Just because you do well in Clearwater does not necessarily mean it's going to translate. Right. And Bryson Stott showed you that at the beginning of this season. So I think that he kind of needs to prove it again, and we'll see what happens. Now, Matt Vierling has sort of slowly gained his footing a little bit. And, you know, does he stick around? We'll see what happens.
1: All right, Phillies, Mets, big series. Four-gamer here. This is a four-gamer, and... Uh... This is what the seventh time or the eighth time they've played. The Mets are four and two in the game so far. Now you got a four game series and six games back. The Phillies are. You lose this series, you could be uh, thinking about a wild card and a wild card only. Uh, so it's a pretty pretty big series at Citizens Bank Park. Aaron Nola Walker for the Mets. My buddy, as uh, a Mets fan, last night said, "I've never seen a World Series game being played in May," but uh, this is about as close as a series to that level as you're going to get, because the Mets can run away and hide from the Phils with this series. And the Phillies won't have Zach Wheeler. (laughs) And, of course, the Mets will
4: have Max Scherzer, as uh, per usual.
1: All right, there you go. Bob Wankel crossing broad for the Phillies coverage here on the Sports Bash, live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Bob, take care, bud. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, that's Bob Wankel. And you heard him talk about the allergy problem with – oduble herrera i said i got a guy that's my guy dr paul lewis give him a call at south jersey advanced health solutions i struggle with my allergies no longer i got a quick procedure took care of the whole thing 856-285-4768 or check out their website sjadvancehealth.com and uh dr paul lewis can take care of that if you have any allergies dust mold dog hair Hey, I know a guy, a listener, who messaged me and thanked me. He said, I was allergic to beer. Beer. Can't be allergic to beer. But Dr. Paul took uh, took care of this beer allergy, and uh, he can help you too. So give Dr. Paul Lewis a call. at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. Oduble Herrera, make the call and get back in the lineup. Don't let those allergies bother you. He fixed mine. He can fix yours too. More Sports Bash on the way. Now, back to the
0: spree
1: ESPN. Hey, everybody, it's Mike Gill, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'm sitting here with John Henderson. Of course, you guys know John. He's done plenty of events in this area, and he's got another big one coming March 21st. It's the Chili Knockout and Spicy Food Festival. This sounds like it's right up sports fans alley, the big game. You need the chili, John. So tell us a little bit about what's going down at the Orange Loop and AC March 21st, man.
5: What's a good word, Michael? So we are going to do the areas first, you know, chili tasting. Big kind of, you choose the winner. They walk away with the belt. They walk away with some cash and you walk away with some gas. So yeah, <laughs> man, it's going to be a good time. Over 20 chilies, a ton of hot sauces, spicy food, live entertainment, some contests, chances to win cash good times going to be had
1: yeah so this is basically who's making the chili who's got the best chili in our area bring it bring it big time bring everything the gas the chili the powder and it sounds like this is something that people are going to be talking about afterwards this isn't just like the event this is going to be something that people are talking about and looking forward to every year
5: you know it's it's cool because it's 20 restaurants. We've got 20 local restaurants from our friends at Vagabond to Ducktown to Bure, Wingcraft. You know, 20 local spots are slinging chilies, and they're all different, right? Yeah. I've had alligator chili. I've had vegan chili. I've had uh, crab chili, seafood chili. So these guys are really bringing their A-game. Some of it has beans. Some of it doesn't have beans. They're all hot. So it's 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 a really cool opportunity for people to do a culinary discovery.
1: Yeah, and talk about you know where you're um, holding this because that area in itself is just a cool atmosphere to be a part of. You want to get tickets for this event, try out the different chilies, and just see how cool that orange loop area is becoming man this is a place to be
5: yeah new york avenue smack in the middle of atlantic city right you know surrounded by you know you've got bourree loteria tennessee avenue rhythm and spirits the irish pub there's a ton of great joints around there you know we we're we're gonna bring 20 restaurants in 20 chilies they're gonna be serving spicy food as well so you'll be able to try it a bunch of cool spicy grub you know everybody's a judge so when you come in you buy your judge ticket we give you a punch card and two voting pieces you come in you try the chilies which one do
1: you like you swing over to their box you draw your vote in and and you you ultimately decide who eats march 21st chili knockout and spicy food festival it's an all-day event too all so day event. you can carve out two hours four hours make a day out of it and try out some of the best chili in our area
5: 100
1: so real quick give the list of a couple off the top of your head of some of the chilies in your mind that uh, are the ones to watch. Who, who's, if you're going there, trying which one?
5: So if you check out our Facebook page, which is Chili Knockout, uh, we have gone to, we've done 12 videos now of different restaurants doing different, different chilies. They're all different, right? And I could pick a favorite because I like certain things. One of the ones that we tried that was out of this world was Rhythm and Spirits Chef Kevin. You're familiar with Kevin, did a green pork chili that was beanless, Ooh-hoo. that was out of this world out of this world but then bobby heptenberger at essels did one one up them yeah try or at least try there i mean everybody's trying because it's a lot of good chili and you know depends on if you like beans do you not like beans you know so the diversity in chili is amazing well
1: just like you and i were talking beer of course john brings the uh beer festival to atlantic city uh knockout.com to get tickets everybody has different taste buds for beer and i'm sure everybody has different taste buds for chili And probably different smells when that chili comes back out.
5: 12 hours later. I'm glad everybody will be in their own
1: homes. (laughs) Uh, We're looking forward to the beer festival. Of course, the uh, Halloween. We've had a great time. Witchcraft was a blast. Yeah, yeah. man. We uh, had that the last two years with you guys. And now the chili knockout. Uh, You can uh, check that out. March 21st in Atlantic City, the Chili Knockout and Spicy Food Festival. John Henderson is the purveyor. And I am simply a fan. Thank you, bud. My man, Gil. Appreciate you. All right, man. Looking forward to that. That's happening on Saturday, March 21st. And you can get your tickets over at com. It's com. March 21st at the Orange Loop all day event. I'll be over there. It's a lot of chili, man. Josh, you into the chili?
2: I think chili is more of your thing than my thing. It's-
1: Nice way of saying, no, you're not interested in this event. You have a good way of saying, I don't like anybody. (laughs) Chili knockout, man. You go over there and have a good time, have a couple beers, eat some chili. I like beer. I like that. All right, uh, coming up next hour, football at four, Jeff Mosher. There's a lot of changes going on in the Eagles' front office. What's the message and why? And why are people always poaching the Eagles' front office? That and more, minicamp tomorrow, football at four. It's coming up next. 97.3
0: ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. My
2: personality is I want to win badly. I want to win more Lombardies for
0: Philadelphia and our fans. we got the greatest fans around, and I will do everything possible. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four.
1: Football 4 is powered by Inside the Birds podcast. It drops at 6 a.m. every Monday and Thursday. Check out their YouTube channel, and it is brought to you by Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at Philly phillysportstrips.com. Jeff Mosher, he is the owner. He is the purveyor of the site InsideTheBirds.com. And he is with me. What are you eating? Sunflower seeds over there, dude? No, it was a little gum. I just had to remove it before <laughs> the interview. Right. You don't want to hear me all, you know. So I, I He is the owner and the thing. purveyor, the man who eats sunflower seeds, spitting gum before of Inside <laughs> the birds. Uh It is Jeff Mosher. All right, Mosher, what's up, brother? What's up, my friend? How are you? I'm doing good, man. I, uh, I'm i excited uh, to talk some football. I mean, people like look at the offseason here and um and see what's next we got mini camp coming up this weekend we'll dive into some of that and a lot of the storylines that we're looking forward to but i want to get into you something that you wrote about over at inside the and you know the impact of all these front office moves i mean by most accounts the eagles did a good job at the draft they've had a nice weekend why so many changes give us the skinny on what's happening inside the eagles front office
6: Yeah, Mike, the Eagles are undergoing some some pretty big changes. Uh, we've talked about the losses that they've already had, right? Uh, Brandon Brown, uh, Ian Cunningham, Brandon going to the Giants, Cunningham going to the Bears. Those were two you know, very high-ranking executives in their scouting chain. Catherine uh, and Rach, who has, we've talked about her, the highest-ranking woman in the NFL, uh, is now is going to be going to the Browns to be like uh, an assistant GM-type role. And then there have been moves now made in the last few days that reflect that not only did did the Eagles have to replace some really qualified candidates that they're losing, but that they're also going in a different direction as far as the department altogether. And when I say different, what I mean is the sense I get and just speaking and seeing the moves and talking to some people who are familiar with what the Eagles are doing is that they're trying to be younger, trying to continue to have a diverse staff um, for but, you know, racially diverse staff, that's always been important. Jeffrey Lurie's been talking about that for the last few years, and their moves have reflected that. And it it seems to me, and I've got more work to do, and Adam does on this, that they're, they're, they're sort of, the way it was put to me is, like, they don't want to be, like, the status quo anymore, or they don't want to do it the way it's always been done. They're trying to, I guess, maybe more modernize or, or um, be more forward-thinking in their scouting approach. So you'll notice that some of the, the scouts who were fired or not retained, um, have been scouts for a long time. I mean, like Sean Heinlein, the Southwest Scout, He is a guy that's been in scouting for about almost 20 years. TJ McCrate as well, a guy who's been a veteran scout for a long time. Um, the Casey Weidel one to me, Mike, is the one that I, it's hard to see the messaging or understand what's going on there because he's young, he's kind of a dynamic guy as far as what he does, and he speaks people who know him, who have worked with him, speak really highly of his his what he does in his job. Well he is a kind of a scheduler, an organizer. There are a lot of behind the scenes guys in scouting that do more than just watch tape. Like they're responsible for taking the the whole pool of college players, right? If it's college scout and then the whole pool of scouts in your organization and making sure everybody is aligned. You go to the combine, you gotta interview a certain amount of people, they're spread out, they're at certain times, like casey was responsible for a lot of the functionality there um that's what that's what his title was scouting director or, um i forget coordinator i think and you know it's my understanding he's gonna he will wind up getting a job because he's that well regarded so the fact that he's out and that he's andy White's brother certainly raises up your your radar and says well that's kind of an interesting one what's yeah. going on here but but as we reported and adam kaplan reported it on our podcast that's so it's our understanding Andy Weidel is, is, you know, staying in the front office for now as long as he's employed here.
1: So. Right. I mean, Andy Weidel obviously is a candidate for the Steelers job. But how awkward of a situation it's going to be uh, if he's still here and his brother just got canned?
6: Yeah, very awkward. And, you know, the Steelers are are a casting a wide net. They're interviewing a lot of people, but they are generally known around the league as a team that promotes from within. And they have some strong interior candidates. Uh, one of them who's going to interview with the Eagles uh, this weekend, Brandon Hunt. Um, so, you know, to say that he's the front runner, Andy Weidel, for the job, or he's definitely getting it, and that's why they're just making moves now to 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 be ahead of the game, is completely false. That's not the the case going on here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, I guess the f- let me rewind a little bit here too. Uh, Catherine Reach, she's going to Cleveland by all reports. She interviewed in right. Minnesota. I don't know that a lot of our listeners have any idea who she is or what she does, but what impact does she have on the organization or what did she do and her leaving
6: right so she holds the title of director of of football operations i believe or football administration it's the same title that andrew berry i believe held with the eagles before he became the cleveland browns gm so it's a title that is is a high ranking title and entails a lot of you know important decisions for the franchise and as i understand it her job blends a lot of different responsibilities from scouting to coordinating to you know, being a, a you know a high profile decision maker on the team, and she is going to fill the role that is left void by I Kwesi, uh Mensa, and I, I don't I'm bad at pronouncing his last name. He he left Cleveland to be the general manager now of the Vikings. So Andrew Berry is replacing him by hiring Catherine Rage, or, or in some kind of capacity where it's a very high ranking position in the Browns system. Oh. So that's, yeah, losing her. Now, remember, Catherine, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people don't know who Catherine is. Um, she's, she's the highest ranking woman for any NFL team. And she came here to a couple of years, three years ago, um, from the Canadian football league where she had been an assistant general manager, I believe for the Argonauts and a director of football administration for the Alouettes. So she held very high positions there, was hired by the Eagles as like a player personnel executive. And then two years later was promoted to what she is currently doing.
1: Is she was she helping with like uh, draft scouting, giving information on players like, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're a GM of, say, a minor league baseball team, your job is not as much finding talent as much as it is doing sales. Mm -hmm. what, What was her role in terms of that? Is she more on the player personnel side or is she more on the business side? No, it was definitely player personnel. It was not business. Um, you know,
6: like President Don Smolenski, as you're pointing out, it, whose name you hear sometimes. He's the president of the team, but as uh, mostly a business and uh, operation for him. But Catherine is a football operation. So sides, this is and somebody who's like I said, she does scouting, she right. does tape watch, she does some contracts, uh, player development, football research, with a bit analytics, which they are very big on, as you know. So it's a pretty all-encompassing position that she held. Right. You mentioned branding, But not Hul- business. She's not out there selling. Right, right.
1: Money. Just to let people know, this is somebody that helped with this draft class and this offseason that they are now losing. And uh, it's multiple players, people in the front office they have lost. We, we talked about this briefly before, but what does that say about the Eagles front office that they keep getting poached?
6: Yeah. I mean, in this case, there's really one person getting poached on top. Of the two that they've already lost, and that's that's Catherine. The others are team decisions to um, to move on. So, well, um, some of the what I'm but, saying but,
1: that, that that Brandon uh, Brooks looked uh, Brown, excuse me, looked attract, and that other teams they had like four interviews inside this front office of other teams coming to them and saying, "Hey, you have somebody sure. we're interested in."
6: Sure. No, they, I mean, there's certainly that. That, that's absolutely true it's case by case because of some of these things are are relationships you know um andy weidel came here because joe douglas came here right joe douglas hired andy weidel because they worked together in baltimore and then both of them together have brought in several play, uh, scouts who came through the baltimore chain so some of it is that like for example ian cunningham who was well regarded to your point um he and ryan poles had a prior relationship they knew each other they were very friendly with each other, so for Ryan, it was understandable why he interviewed Ian. You know, I interviewed. He was he wanted him in the organization. I think it's. I think your point about the Giants hiring of Brandon Brown is really um, valid because I don't know that there was any kind of prior relationship between Joe Shane um, and and Brandon Brown. I think that they were really just looking for a really qualified AGM and came to this organization and found one.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's also, I guess, reports out there that the senior bowl director, Jim Nagy, is up for a front office position. You lost Cunningham. You've lost Brown. Rach is now mm-hmm. leaving. Uh, it seems like the Eagles have a lot of moves to make. This is going to be, as you kind of indicated, a much different look in that front office. um than, And one of the things about having a successful front office is the stability that they had. You may not like Roseman. You have whatever thoughts of Roseman. But having the stability and consistency at that position, whether he makes – good decisions or not, that's what typically good teams do. They have consistency in those positions. Yeah, and that's what makes some of the recent moves sort of confusing.
6: Uh, you, know, you can't control who gets lost, I mean, obviously. but Well, the Eagles are I trying feel- to, right? Well, didn't they put the rule <laughs> in uh, that they don't yeah, want? They are trying to, yeah. you're right. Yeah, they did. Um, but, you know, that part you can't control. But um, I- I've criticized them in way in the past for being – you know, sort of the team that hires and fires like different guys in the front office every two or three years. And Howie Roseman's had his issues getting along with certain personnel. And that's always impacted the team's ability to have like a constant identity. And it seemed, as you're saying, like things were starting to settle itself out from the two drafts of two and three years ago that just went haywire. Um, and they coming off two drafts that are generally recognized as being good process, good players. And so to kind of do this now, Makes you wonder, like, what what's what reason would you have for some kind of sudden philosophical shift in what you're doing? And that that's the only way we'll get that answer is down the road is this thing becomes successful or if the lack of continuity winds up hurting them in the long run. We'll have to see. But I mean, you know, the one thing you know about Howie I mean, he's going to look for um, the best in the business. And, you know, Brandon Brown, uh, Brandon Hunt from the Steelers has been with the Steelers for quite a while uh pro pro scouting coordinator he's a guy who as i understand it is up for that gm vacancy in pittsburgh and he's also someone that the eagles have been kind of having their eye on ever since chip kelly was the uh not just the head coach but he had the power and he was looking for a right hand man kind of executive he wound up hiring doug manowitz or promoting doug manowitz but he he did cast a wide net and guys like joe douglas and brandon hunt were on the radar at the time, so this is several years later, and Brandon Hunt is now coming in to to you know impress himself upon Howie, and it's my understanding he likes the guy a lot. So we'll see. I mean that then, and, and he's younger, he's an African American, so he's going in the direction the way Jeffrey Lurie and Howie want, as far as having a younger, diverse, and, and I guess forward thinking. so I, can't, I don't know if Brandon Hunt's a forward thinking guy the way the Eagles want. Who knows? But he's he's a qualified and talented executive
1: from people I speak to. Uh, Jeff Mosher, InsideTheBirds.com, InsideTheBirds podcast. Uh, check out their website and more uh, for more information on who uh, some of the names that uh, could be out there and who the Eagles could be targeting because, obviously, uh, they got a lot of uh, changes coming to their front office. Now, the front office had been lauded this weekend uh, for the moves they made. The big one is A.J. Brown. He spoke the other day. You guys had uh, the Intel show with Greg Cosell on And uh, you can check that out on the YouTube channel for those of you out there who like those Intel shows with Greg Cosell. What is something about AJ Brown that he said that maybe our listeners would, you know, can kind of gravitate towards about the way he fits in with this team? (laughs) Yeah, the money
6: quote, as I like to call it. Uh, And Greg doesn't normally um, get into hyperbole much. He just tells you what he sees on tape. But he was extraordinarily um, enthusiastic about how. AJ Brown quote fits the Eagles like a freaking glove. End quote. That would that is what he said, and I was like, "Thank you for the headline," but um, it's true. I mean, AJ Brown is someone who he's only six foot one, but he's two hundred and twenty pounds. He's kind of built differently than the the receivers that you see around the league, right? He's not uh, 6'2", 6'3", 220, which is normal. So at 6'1", 220, what he does best is really flourish in the in the short to intermediate game. And then take that pass, turn up field, break through some contact and give you a lot of run after the catch. A lot of that is RPO, you know, that short stuff, that slant, that the glance routes. That's the all stuff that he's done really well in Tennessee. And it's stuff that Nick Sirianni tried to do for the first few weeks of of the season before he realized that that wasn't a good game plan for what they were at the time. And then he had to go to a running game in a run based scheme with the quarterback runs but it's clear now when you look at the how they chased after wide receiver and what they paid aj brown and gave up to get him that they do want to pass the ball more and they want to be a better passing team they want to be what you see around the nfl um so when you bring in aj brown and pay him that money and you bring in a guy who particularly fits that short game and west coast offense and quick stuff that you want to do then it makes a whole lot of sense, and that to, know, to 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 surmise that they're going to try to get back to being what they were the first six weeks, just with a lot better results.
1: Yeah, um, we got mini camps starting this weekend, and I know uh, a lot of people sometimes say, "Hey, you know, these mini camps you don't take a lot of, out from it." But what are some of the things, Jeff, that you are going to uh, take in uh, with the mini camp starting this weekend? Well, I, I'm still fascinated, probably like everybody else, that Nicobe Dean is just good to go, right? I mean, <laughs> so we'll see what'd you exactly think of his, how much. What do you think of his quote, though? I mean, he was pretty, you know, he said, somebody basically cost me money. Like, somebody put something out there that's not true, and it cost me money. Yeah, I don't get
6: that. because, and I don't know what he's been told. Maybe, you know, when you're a top 40 guy and you fall to the third round, maybe your agent it's got to come up with something to tell you or I, I, I don't know what, but I talked to several people uh, and they, you know, all, a lot of people would tick off the litany of injuries that he had suffered. Now, granted, he didn't miss time at Georgia, but, you know, there are a lot of guys, uh, you know, Alabama was pretty famous for this for a while and still so that, you know, players come from there and they're great, but they've either had, you know, offseason medicals or something and then they go to the NFL and they fall apart pretty quickly. Uh, from Dee Milner to, um, like a couple of their linebackers and, you know, Trent Richardson was never very effective. I don't know if that was injury related, but a lot of their guys wind up getting hurt. They, wasn't a, who's the wide receiver from Alabama was always getting hurt too? I, I can't remember. But the point is, um, when I talked to people around the league about N'Kobe Dean, they would list off certain medical, um, question marks they had about him. And even at his pro day, I was told he just didn't work out and test well. And you could tell that he was trying to push through whatever injuries he had going on, whether it was the pec or something else. So he's already 5'11", right? He's not the tallest guy. He's not the, the, the biggest guy. Um, and now you've got medical question marks on him. So maybe third round's a little too much precipitous of a fall. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know why he's surprised, knowing his own medical history and what teams knew about it, that he fell you know yeah out of the first and second
1: round well i mean obviously they don't i mean these mini camps are basically shorts and t-shirts and i guess you have yeah. your helmet on right there's nothing going crazy going on but uh it'll definitely be i think anyway Do you think rager uh, is there and he does anything well he's not a rookie so i, I mean oh this, he's is the right now. this is for the rookies only
6: I, I thought it was just rookie minicamp first, and then it, okay. it yeah, yeah, yeah. They changed up the schedule a lot. so They have.
1: And, and you know, yeah. uh, some of these OTAs, I guess, later on is when the veterans come in. Gotcha. Right, all right, right. right. I was going to say, because right. I'm looking forward to see. I talked about this yesterday, Mo, so I want to get your opinion on this. You know, the whole Rager thing, obviously, everybody's sour on him. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you the guy is going to break out and have a great year. But, you know, Aguilar had two horrible years. And then they moved him exclusively to the slot, and he was a big part of them winning that Super Bowl. I mean, if the Eagles just change Rager's role, I wonder if that's something that you know hey you're you're not the- don't we're two years past you being the first pick we got Smith and brown here the 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 spotlight is off you. let's just throw you in the slot and see if he can you know run some curls, catch the ball, turn, and get up the field right so I think the the only difference is. 'Cause I, I thought this
6: too, like at the end of the year, I'm like maybe if they move Aguilar to the slot, not Aguilar, Rager to the slot, there'll be more of an opportunity to kind of get his confidence back, resurrect his career. He's a short area burst guy who can turn it upfield anyway, take but but the difference is when Aguilar moved to the slot, in in if you looked at the totem pole of the offense at the time, it was still Zach Ertz number one as far as volume catcher. You could say Alshon too, but Aguilar was three. I think Torrey Smith was the fourth guy in that. Aguilar got way more um, of attention from Carson Wentz, who also played at a, you know, an incredible level uh, when the first two years, or the, those years, at Aguilar was good. Uh, in this case, you look at where where Rager falls. Like You've got A.J. Brown, you have Devontae Smith, and you have Dallas Goddard. So you already have three guys above him in the pecking order. And Quez Watkins... This is a guy that they've spoken about with one more praise. So you can might as well just say they've got four guys above him in the pecking order. So he won't have the same opportunities right now to resurrect his career as Nelson Aguilar did. Because when this team comes out in 11 personnel with three receivers on the field, it doesn't sound like Jalen Rager is part of that crew for the moment. Fair so enough. it's yeah. a little bit more...
1: We're an uphill climb for him. Yeah, I look, I don't know if he's going to come out and catch – I don't know what uh, Aguilar did, but he had a pretty big impact. I mean, he had a big Super Bowl. I mean, yes. he really had a big season. I think he had like 750 yards at eight touchdowns that year. Yep. Um, and yep. he excelled in that role. And then we saw after that, the year after, they had injuries and they had to keep taking him out of the slot, and he just wasn't as effective. I mean, So if they could simplify Rager's role, maybe that's the way to to salvage it. I don't know. Do you think he'll – be here when the season starts.
6: That's a great question. I, I see. To me, that all depends on on Howie's mindset. You know, he was he held on to Zach Ertz until he just decided to trade. You know, like he could have gotten rid of Zach Ertz a lot earlier and didn't. And I I guess hubris might co- might come into play here with whether or not he's going to trade Jalen Rager. I'm positive he'll get offers, and I'm positive those offers aren't going to. Knock his socks off because who wants to give up a, a lot of value for a guy that is already on his way out and hasn't had two good years? But, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, how he's got to let common sense prevail here, I think. Um, but I don't, I don't know. He's
1: a stubborn guy sometimes. Is it a situation where, you know, obviously Brown and Smith are the guys, but when OTAs come, it's, I sit down Pascal, Watkins, and Rager from day one and say, it's you three are fighting for snaps in that spot. Well, if he's here,
6: right, if they're not trading him and he's on the team and out there practicing, I do think that they give him the opportunity to prove himself. Getting, I'm sure you'll see him take a few reps on the first team, get a, get some on the second team. I, he's not going to be like buried <laughs> behind these rookie free agent receivers that they just signed or anything like that. He's going to get the opportunity to prove it, and we'll see what happens from there. All right. Uh- Maybe I could see Howie wanting him to – You know, showcase Jalen Rager all throughout the preseason and the training, the preseason games before then trying to make a move as they go into the season.
1: Right. Well, uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. I want to see the receiver uh, group, obviously, this new look receiver group. And one guy makes you new look, right? It's like all of a sudden you got one guy and that changes the complexion. How does that help? What does it do for Smith? What does it do for Goddard, right? I mean, how does AJ Brown's presence change everything for those two guys? That's. Yeah gonna be a very interesting thing. That all starts tomorrow uh with the rookie mini camps at the care Center and we'll have that on football at four, of course, all next week as well. And uh this offseason continues where they're gonna need now everybody's keeping their eyes on James Bradbury, right? Yeah, yep. I understand why, but just remember cornerbacks
6: who are good, and he may have had a bad year, but we know he's he's not a terrible cornerback. He can play, especially if he's in the right scheme a lot of teams are going to chase after him. The Eagles will not be the only one. I feel like there's a thought that he gets released, he's an Eagle the next day. Well, the Eagles are going to have some some competition in getting him. And there are some teams that have probably a little bit uh, more money at the time to deal with than the Eagles do. So this will be an interesting competition.
1: Well, you know what? Playing in your division against a team that just let you go, maybe. Maybe that's appealing.
6: Or maybe playing... For a team that's like been in the Super Bowl for the last three years, and just happens to be a quarterback too, and you get to play with Patrick Mahomes and you know, or uh, some other All Pro quarterback. All you right, never so there's know.
1: competition out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's Jeff Mosher. Football at four every day at four o'clock right here. On the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile out. Check out the latest edition of Inside the Birds over at InsideTheBirds.com. Download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, back tomorrow with Adam Kaplan here on Football at Four. Thank you, Jeff. You got it, Mike. There's Jeff Mosher. He'll be back next week for Football at Four. You, of course, out there on the Sports Bash Thursday. No, uh, No hoops tonight at all. Nothing. Zippo. Zilch. You know, they put basketball games up against the draft, but they don't put any basketball games on the Thursday after the draft. All season long, Thursday night is basketball night on TNT. This Thursday night, nothing. You figure it out. Brought to you by your Delaware Valley Acura dealers. New inventory arrives daily. Find your award-winning local Acura dealership today. Check out Acura's award-winning lineup at Val Acura Dealers. .com Now back to the Sports ESPN Sports Bass Live 973 ESPN And, of course, it's a uh, headlines type of time. Let's check out what's happening out there. You know, I have a couple thoughts out there as well as I typically do at this headlines. I get to kind of get off of some of the things that we've been talking about throughout the course of the day. But let's see what you have on your mind today. My producer is Josh Enning.
2: Well, one of my favorite things to follow in sports is the business side when it comes to these teams. And for those who may not know, the Denver Broncos are up for sale. The hope for the Broncos is to have the team... Sold for the start of the twenty twenty two season. Jeez. So yes. countdowns on, Mike, it's May 5th, you know. I,
1: I I saw that um Josh Harris is part of the group with uh Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson, right? Yes,
2: the news just came down today that Magic Johnson is partnering with Josh Harris to help boost. The group's bidding profile. Now, according to Nick Cosmodier, he is the Broncos beat writer for The Athletic. There are six different groups that are trying to bid for the Broncos. The Broncos have been very tight-lipped about who's actually doing it. So the only people we know is the Harris-Johnson contingent. You also have Rob Walton, the heir of the Walmart fortune, right? You also have Todd Boley. He is a minority owner in the Dodgers and Lakers. And then you have Harrison Johnson. Now, according to the athletics report here, from a pure wealth perspective, Walton could theoretically put up the most money outright. But the problem is not how much money will be put up. It's how much money the league will approve someone to put up. So, for example, as we may or may not remember, there's a history in the NFL. The NFL says, someone like Mark Cuban, you may have a stupid amount of money, but we may not approve of you being an owner in our league. So, it's not just the money being put up, but it's also, does the league approve this person, which is why Magic Johnson is getting involved, Because according to reports, Harris is hoping that his experience as being a minority owner in the Dodgers and previously with the Lakers will help Harris to get into the NFL world.
1: Interesting. Now, would you want, if you're a Sixers fan, do you want Josh Harris, now he already owns the Devils. Correct. Do you want him to get into the football game?
2: Well, does him get... I don't know. is,
1: Is Josh Harris viewed as an owner that you like?
2: I think he's an owner that you know. Outside of our area, people, all they know about him is, well, he owns a lot of stuff. Well, like, I think they don't, he's not someone that people know visibly. Like, you know, if if you don't know what Josh Harris is, you probably don't know what he looks like at all. It's not like he's one of these owners that gets out there and is visible, alive. People talk about. He's at him. every game. He sits in the front or row. Sixers game, but most people like. You know, if you don't know who Josh Harris is, you won't Talk be able to... Talk about
1: Sixers fans. Like, I would say Sixers are... fans,
2: most of them know who he is. Right.
1: My, that was my question. But, I mean, outside Sixers, of Philadelphia, you not That's not know my you know question, though. My question is, would Sixer fan, In other words, if he has another... Something else that he's putting his focus on. Is he uh-huh. putting less focus on the Sixers? Probably. Like, is he viewed... By Sixers fans as a good owner. Now, he is...
2: Oh, I guarantee you most Sixers fans think he's either a know-nothing, basically.
1: Right. But what he is... He's a very he successful business. He is really guy. the face of the process. Whether you believe that or not, Sam Hinkie is the face of that whole thing. But it was signed off upon by Josh Harris. Sure. Remember, Josh Harris bought the team... Before he hired Hanky and traded for Bynum, right, there was he that- was all about changing this team over from jump street. Correct. So when I tell you Josh Harris is the owner of the Sixers, do you view him as someone who has done good for the Sixers organization, someone who has not done well? This is maybe the best stretch of Sixers basketball you've gotten since 83 and, and previous Uh, In terms of regular season win totals, yes. Well, I'm just saying, any totals. The fact that they've been in the second round of the playoffs for, what, five straight years? Four or five straight years? There's been no other time in anybody's lifetime that the Sixers have been into the second round this many years in a row. Now, yeah. you might say that's not good enough. It's better than any other stretch they've ever had in the history of the franchise for most of us.
2: But you just brought up the word earlier. and It's the process. And there are people who are still very conflicted, you know, whether, you know, I know it frustrates you, Mike, but those people still exist. And,
1: and I got an a guy today that texted in and said... Them losing last night I guess that means the process failed.
2: Right. Yeah, there's there were people on national television who still ask if the process is working or not. You know. So, you know whether people like the process or not, and because it's attached to Harris, whether it's directly or indirectly, depending on who you ask, because I think some people would try to argue that, you know, Harris used Hinky as a shield because when Colangelo came in, Colangelo became, you know, the new the new the, the so I'm not trying to do a, a literal example here, folks, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when Jerry was sitting with Josh Harris for all those months, you know, he found a new uh, new girlfriend, you know, a new significant other for basketball right. reasons. Well, let's just say Hinckley.
1: Josh Harris signed off and basically is the face, whether Hinkie's the face of it, Harris is the one who says, "Signed
2: off. let's go it. down
1: yes. this road, let's do this. So the fact that he might be involved in an NFL team, does that take some of his attention away from his Sixers? Absolutely, it does. Sixers stuff.
2: It absolutely does. But maybe some fans out there, that might be a good thing. But he does own the Devils. He owns the Devils. I don't
1: know that he goes to Devils games. I mean.
2: I think Dave Blitzer goes to Devils. If you told me right
1: now, games. by the way, to ask. If you ask me the NHL playoff teams, I don't think I can name one.
2: Come on.
1: I'm telling you, I don't think I could tell you one matchup.
2: Kevin Durst is going to
1: be disappointed. He would be. I didn't even (laughs) know the playoffs had started, number one. I thought the Flyers were still playing games. That season seemed like it was going on forever, number one. Number two, I have no idea. Billy Schwime texted me last night that he was watching, was it the Leafs and the Lightning?
2: Yeah, Leafs and Lightning. How are they even
1: playing each other?
2: They're in the same conference.
1: Yeah, but one finished in second. The other, I, oh, they I changed the playoff format. No, there.
2: the playoffs have been like this for a while. They had the thing where it's on the point system. It's not based on your just pure record.
1: Yeah, it's like the top three in the division get in, and yeah. then like the wild card. And the wild card.
2: card is based on everybody else left over. Who's playing? You no,
1: mentioned. I have no idea. So it's the Lightning and the Leafs. Okay, it's Pittsburgh Rangers, Washington, Florida, Nashville, Colorado, are- Dallas, Dallas Calgary, Carolina, Boston, Toronto, Tampa, I mean, you Minnesota. you just
2: ruined the game by naming it all off by yourself.
1: Well, we, got, we got to hurry. I got Keith Smith waiting.
2: I'll, I'll squeeze in one more. You mentioned the hockey thing. I'll skip over to that story real quick. Did you see what Barkley said last night? No. So Rick Tockett was in the TNT studio to promote the fact that TNT is the NHL games tonight. And... Taki came in the studio and was walking around handing the trophy off to Shaq and Ernie and Kenny to have their little, like, hey, I got the trophy. And Charles Barkley said, keep it away from me. He says he has a superstition against touching trophies that he didn't win.
1: So superstition, what's going to happen?
2: Chuck said, quote, I would never touch a championship trophy. It's just a rule I have. Anybody knows that, even if it's not my sport. I didn't win. Yeah,
1: but what's going to happen? It's like I understand if you're superstitious because you're playing in a game and you don't want to touch the trophy ahead of time because you think you're going to lose. But he's not doing anything.
2: They didn't have a lot of time to explain it because they, they had to go on move on to the NHL promo night. But I was watching this last night at 12.50 in the morning or 1 o'clock or whenever it was. And I thought I'd bring it up to you. How do you feel about Chuck saying I'm not going to touch the trophy?
1: I don't have a lot of thought on it other than it doesn't make any sense. I would think he would say, "Well, he's not doing anything. He's not playing."
2: That was Ernie's answer. Ernie's answer is, "What does it matter?"
1: Real smart, right? Ernie's smart guy. Uh, This NIL story, real quick: the NCAA is reportedly seeking to regulate NIL collectives, especially ones headed by boosters. The interesting part about this is that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart are the ones calling for the oversight. It's like they're the two schools that benefit the most from the NIL. It's almost like they know they have an unfair advantage and don't want that big of an advantage.
2: Look, the NIL, people are just, who cares? Every time you regulate something, the NCAA regulates, they they mess it up. They make it worse. The NCAA just needs to go away.
1: Well, this is Kirby Smart and... Nick Saban, are they the ones that are pushing for this? Maybe Nick Saban
2: should be the commissioner of college football, and he can figure it out. Well, they're they're saying we
1: don't like that the NCAA let this NIL happen, so now we need you to regulate. Let it
2: happen. Congress forced it down their throat. They told them that you are not allowing these people to make money.
1: (laughs) They shouldn't have. (laughs) Who cares? They're in no position to be able to make money. I was a college student. Guess what? If they're gonna make nil you went to the money,
2: college radio station, didn't you?
1: Yeah. If they're if if they're gonna make nil money, they should forfeit their free tuition, pay tuition then. You want to make money? You want to make money off nil? Pay tuition like the rest of us. You want a free ride? Don't take nil. That's your decision. You can either take the free scholarship, or you pay tuition. Fine. There we go. I'm okay with you taking the money, then don't take my scholarship.
2: I think you just solved one part of the problem. Not the whole thing, but one part of it. All right. Keith Smith, is the
1: series over regardless if B comes back? Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the Sports ESPN. All right, Keith Smith, SpotTrack.com, the NBA playoffs. They're off tonight. How the hell are you off on Thursday night? If there's one night... That is associated with the NBA. It's Thursday night. They went up against the NFL Draft, for God's sakes. How do they not have a game tonight? Keith Smith joins me now. Talk a little NBA playoffs. Says, uh a lot of interesting storylines. What's going on, Keith?
3: Uh, uh, a lot. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot, a lot going on. But, yeah, night off uh, for, from games tonight, for sure. How's that possible?
1: Thursday night's the NBA night. It's the only night I associate with the NBA. It's Thursday night. They have no games on Thursday night. But, all right, here we go. We got nothing. Friday night, we got Sixers Heat game two. Is that series in your mind over, regardless if Embiid comes back or not?
3: Uh, I I won't say it's over. If he can come back and be Joel Embiid, which I I don't know that that's really the way that's going to go. If he could though, then yeah, they can get right back in it. I mean, we've seen teams go go down 0 well before and come back to make it a a series and even win some of these series. So they definitely still have a chance if he can come back and be himself
1: um is it simply they haven't shot the ball very well like if you watch the first two games are you saying bad game plan is there an adjustment here simply having in changes this whole thing what do you see the first two t- these first two games that has them down o2
3: yeah I mean having Embiid would change everything because you you're a much better defensive team you're not uh, clear you have your offensive focal point but I think their challenge is, I think both games, they started out pretty well, and they were pushing pace, they were playing a lot faster than they usually do, and then I think they just ran out of steam. They, they're... We're seeing their uh, lack of depth is being exposed big time uh, in this series. It's not that like, a guy like Matisse Stiebel is not a good player, but he's just not somebody who's going to come in and completely change a series offensively or anything like that. So uh, I think they're, they're, that's what has stood out more so than anything is the depth that they gave up uh, in the, the trade to get James Harden. Hopefully, you, know, you would hope that Harden would be kind of the guy who could – You know, pick up for that lack of depth by playing 40 minutes and scoring, you know, 30 plus points. But I I don't know if he's not feeling well or what's going on, but it just doesn't seem like he has that in him right now.
1: Yeah, uh, I just looked at somebody said, hey, the Sixers should have known he was cooked when they traded for him. Um, There was a stretch of games he had from December 25th to January 1st where he scored. 36 39 33 34 had 10 rebounds 8 14 and 12 had 10 assists 15 10 and 13 that's a four game stretch right there is he cooked is he hurt what's go are they defending him right what's going on here
3: And definitely the heat defense is owed a lot of credit cuz they're they're really making him work and they're they're making him nothing's easy for him including even just you know handling the ball up the court or in the half court like they're really pressing up on him and and making it tough they've said he's healthy and he he, there's no listed. he hasn't been on the injury report in quite some time so i'm gonna take them at their word of that that you know he is feeling you know good so then you start to wonder well what is happening because it doesn't take, you know, somebody who watches, you know, every single game or anything. As long as you've seen James Harden play before, you can watch him play now and he just doesn't look like the same guy. And that, I think, is the most concerning thing is he just, he looks, he looks at a step slow. He doesn't have that same explosion to get past guys. So that's really tough because that's so much of what his game is based on.
1: Yep, it's uh, definitely frustrating. Maxie had the big night. They're not shooting the ball from three at all in this series. Danny Green one for nine last night. Niang 0 for seven in game number one. Uh, They need to start shooting the ball better and quick. Let's go to uh, Friday night. Uh, The Heat and the Sixers, of course, play. The other one is Phoenix and Dallas, and Phoenix is up 2-0. Do you think that one's over?
3: I think that one is closer to over than I think uh, Philly – Uh, Miami is pending Embiid. If Embiid doesn't get back, then Philly-Miami is also over. The Heat aren't going to lose to to what Philly looks like. But that Phoenix-Dallas series, Phoenix figured some stuff out late in game one. And then they really figured some stuff out in here in game uh, number two. At one point, I want to say the game was ninety nine ninety three, and then the next time you kind of looked up, I think it was one twenty two to like ninety nine, and it was just—I mean—they had absolutely got rolling and and just hammered them. And and the Suns are good; they're, they they play defense. They're really good on offense. They're the most complete team left in the playoffs. They know exactly who they are. Uh, they can kind of do it all. They can play any style that you want them to to play against them, and any. Style out more importantly that they want to play so yeah it's going to be really tough for dallas to get back into that one
1: saturday 330 boston milwaukee tied at one that one looked like it was bleak it's smart go out the bucks won game one and then the celtics somehow find a way to win game two where's this series in your mind
3: yeah i think um i think the demise of the celtics after game one was a little overstated they did not play well at all on offense and that fed a lot of the bucks opportunities. Uh, Milwaukee scored almost half of their points in transition in game number one. It helped by 18 turnovers from the Celtics, uh, 12 of which I believe were live ball turnovers. So that's going to be really hard to overcome. Their half-court defense was great in game one, minus they double-teamed Giannis a little too much and gave up some open shots. Uh, Offensively, the Celtics didn't really... Uh, create offense in the right ways. They took early shots in the clock. Even when they made them, they weren't always great shots. In game two, they really worked the ball around. They really looked for good shots. They worked to get them off multiple creations, pain attacks, things like that. And then defensively, they stopped double-teaming Giannis. They said, we're going to let Al Horford and Grant Williams kind of do their thing one-on-one against them. We won't give up any of those open shots. And then they really cut down the turnovers, which cut into the Bucks' transition offense. And that's how they kind of strangled that, that Milwaukee offense and they got it back into a position where now it's one-one headed on the road so I, I think this is going to be a really good long hard-fought series but i think boston figured out some stuff that can work all right uh, Keith
1: smith about a minute left to go the other is memphis golden state a lot of fun uh, memphis gets that one 47 from john ja morant games are heading to san francisco how's this one going to play out this week
3: yeah, I'm a little bit worried for the Grizzlies because I think they might have had their best possible game in Game Two, uh, really led by by John Moran. and that Warriors crowd. They're they're going to be fired up and ready to go after the way Game Two played out. Dylan Brooks suspended for that game; he's not going to be available. Now Memphis played a lot without him this year, so they should be okay. But but it's just you know that Warriors team and that that uh, you know area. I was going to say that building. They haven't had a ton of games in that building, playoff games, but in that area. They're they're something special, and they they tend to get that thing rolling, and it's all of a sudden an avalanche, and you're you're out of the game before it almost even started. So I I think the Warriors are in pretty good shape to take control of the series back home. There's
1: a look at the NBA playoffs. You can hear them right here on 97.3 ESPN, Sixers Heat tomorrow night. Over the weekend, we'll have the Grizzlies and the Warriors, Dallas, and the Suns on Sunday. Sixers Heat game four, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, right here on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, take care, pal. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's at Keith Smith, NBA. Give him a follow. And, of course, he'll be back next week when we talk a little NBA. We could be getting to the conference finals by then. Conference finals begin on the 17th. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals is Tuesday night, the 17th. And you can hear the conference finals right here on 97.3 ESPN. Todd Rank is back, and Todd is with me next here. On the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. And download the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Don't forget, hit us hard on the text board, 609-403-0973.
0: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
1: Five o'clock hour here on the sports batch brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, and Miami. Book your low cost flight at spirit.com. Mike Yell with you. Seven, uh, game three, excuse me, is on uh, Friday night. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Todd Rank is back, my former co-host here on the Sports Bash. The Sixers are in a world of trouble. Is this series over, or can Joel Embiid with a broken face and torn ligament in his thumb save the day? <laughs> it's been a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, man, you've been back uh, born, barnstorming across the country. Yeah, they got me traveling
7: again, so we're, we're out and about all around. I actually leave next week for Pittsburgh again. And then a little trip to Jersey up in the northern tier. So, um, yeah, we're getting back out there.
1: Well, that's good. But, I mean, uh, let's get a couple thoughts. I know you're all over these games and uh, what's going on. And obviously the Sixers, they just have not shot the ball well. But is it as simple as no Joel Embiid? Is that what we're watching here? If Embiid's here, it's a different series. Or are they, are they still down 0-2? Well,
7: that's the good question, Mike. I mean, you know, there's most would say maybe they'd be able to get a split with Embiid in there, right? Uh, and I think that's that's feasible to say that. But when you look at the Miami Heat right now, Mike, the way they play, you know, I, I find it so interesting their game defensively, Mike, it to me is so old school, right? The way in which they lock you down, they switch the defense. every guy covers every man on the floor. you they can do a lot of switching. They've got the big guys inside with, again, without Embiid makes a difference. And then if you've got those shooters, Mike, that can, can hit those threes consistently, I think that's going to be the difference in this series, right? Because the, the Sixers have guys who can shoot outside, but they just haven't shot with the consistency in these first two games that they're going to have to do. I mean, Maxi's playing great. You know, we can talk all day about Harden and, and, and where he's at right now because – It just doesn't seem like you're getting the hardened you paid for and thought you'd get. And unfortunately, that's a big piece, especially with him beat out, Mike. You got to have him playing at a level that he's just simply not at right now.
1: I know. I mean, why isn't he at this level? I'm going to, because you're a big hardened, more so than I am. I was never the biggest (laughs) hardened guy in the world. But somebody said, you know, they're blaming Maury. He should have known he was cooked. And I said, you know, I went back. I said, all right, let me look. Was he cooked? And He had a four-game stretch with the Nets. You ready for the line he had in the four games before he came to Philadelphia? Like, if you were just watching him play in those four games, he played 38 minutes, had 36 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. He had 40 minutes, scored 39 points, 8 rebounds, 15 assists. He had 31 minutes. He had 33 points, 14 rebounds, and 10 assists. Then he played 40 minutes and scored 34 points, 12 rebounds and 13 assists. That wasn't so long ago. That was in this particular season. So, what is he cooked or or is he just playing injured?
7: Well, and this is these are the many questions we can't get answers to, Mike. I want to know, is he upset with the way that he's being used on the Sixers right now? Does he I heard a little bit of grumbling that him and Maxi aren't really on the same page? Like What is going on with this guy? Is he not working out? Is he physically? I mean, he looks like he can't get around any Miami defender right now, Mike. What is going on with him? And for you, that's a great point you bring up. For a four-game stretch, he looked like Harden of old. And I'm not saying that it was only four games. He was still playing consistently when he was playing at a decent level. He looks slow, Mike. He just looks like he's a facilitator he almost looks like ben simmons in a way like he's not even looking to get his shot off half the time
1: you know and it, since he's been here i i heard this this morning since he's been traded to philadelphia he hasn't taken 20 shots in a game once
7: and and what what do you attribute that to mike is he trying to say i'm a team player no
1: i don't i i i don't know man people are <laughs> like he's cooked he's not the same player I want to see what happens at the end of the season. Does he say, hey, look, I've played on this hamstring. It wasn't fully healthy. Or does he acknowledge, you know, yeah, I need to change my game. I mean, Jay Williams brought this up on the morning show uh, yesterday. And he said, look, the Sixers were getting the switches that they wanted. They got Harden on Hero. They were getting him on the defenders. And he said, and he just simply couldn't get by them. And he he's couldn't. settling for step backs, And he's never been a good shooter. I mean he he can make he can take and make that shot, but he's not like a thirty eight percent three point shooter. He's always been like a lower thirty percent three point shooter. So dude, it's it's weird to me. I, I don't know if he's just a step slow, is he hurt, Are the heat just defending to him well, but he didn't play all that well in the Raptors series either.
7: No, and does it come down to Mike between the ears, right? I mean at the end of the day, I think with this guy, and this is what a lot of people have said, the talent's always been there. The question is the drive. The question is how good or how great do you want to be and how much can you lead a team? And I don't know that he has those attributes, Mike. It's plain and simple. And we're seeing it play out in real time when you've got him beat out for the first two games. You're a star in this league, Harden. If you aren't now, you were. You didn't fall off that quick to your point, Mike. And I don't understand how he doesn't take the lead on this team and just attack like he usually does, he has done in the past, and like Doc Rivers wants his team to do. You don't want the Heat's defense to get set. Take the ball and run and get through and get your foul calls and do the different types of unorthodox moves that you take, the Euro steps. Where is all of that? I I am really, honestly, Mike, I'm perplexed as to what he has become. And in so quick time... And, again, you don't have Embiid that you can say, well, he's got to get the touches and he's the guy. He's been on the floor these first two games. And Harden, to me, didn't look invested enough. And now with Embiid coming back, you know, you got to have that guy. And, again, we're asking
1: Maxi to be that guy, Mike.
7: The kid's 21 years old now. He's playing great, but he's
1: 21 years old. I agree. Like, you know, I said this the other day. It's past the point where you're expecting – Hardened to be the guy that scores thirty or thirty-five. Now you are hoping that that's Maxi, and that Maxi has that breakout game. The problem is he had it last night, and you still got blown out.
7: And 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 that's where I'm looking at when you talked about the the initial question, Mike. With Embiid, is this team one-one? Do they still two in Miami? No, I don't think they still two in Miami, and I don't even know that they'd still be one-on-one because the Heat right now, to me just looked like a really well-organized and fine-oiled machine out there. They're connected. I mean, Jimmy Butler, Mike, the game that he has and the evolution of his game over the years, I mean, the way that he facilitates the game, but whenever he needs to, he takes it over and he scores. That's the guy you want.
1: Yeah. Well, he's played outstanding in these playoffs. There's no question.
7: The guy is a – he has become a bigger leader than I ever expected him to be, to be honest, Mike. I never saw him as that guy. And I just feel like the Miami Heat players, they get on his coattails and they ride with him, man. And it, it look, at this point, when you look at the East, Mike, who do you see? You got an injured Sixers team with a Harden who's not playing up to capability. You got this Heat team. That's the number one seed, but nobody ever really felt they were the number one seed. But now they're playing great basketball at the right time. And then you've got this Boston-Milwaukee series. You know, who do you lean to? I'm looking at Miami going, yeah, I see Giannis and I see the Celtics. But, man, this Heat team, they find a way, Mike. And they're going to have home court, by the way.
1: Yeah, I, I look, the the – The Boston-Milwaukee thing, I think that's going to go seven. Giannis is obviously just an absolute beast over there. But they lost the other night when Marcus Smart was out. They don't have Middleton. So that whole series, I think, is going to extend. This one here, you know, you take a look at, they're coming back to Philly. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with Embiid. There is some talk that he's going to play or at least try to play. He's got to pass a concussion stuff. I mean, the guy... Broke his orbital bone on the left side. Now he's broken it all, the other one on the right side. He's probably going to have to wear the mask. He's going to have the thumb still, the ligament still torn on the thumb. That's going to need surgery when the season's over here. So what kind of in beat are you actually Again, Here's the thing. They've been in these games. If they can make shots, they shot 20% from three. They're shooting. Well, you know, the last two games, they've been horrendous. And I said this in the last series against Toronto. They were on fire. Danny Green had eight threes between game six and five, and now he's not hitting the broadside of a barn. But that's what you get with roll guys—they're going to hit eight threes over a two-game stretch, and they're going to hit no threes over a two-game stretch. Niang was zero for seven; Green one for nine. If they turn that twenty percent into forty percent, can they get themselves back into this series? It is—is is it as simple as that? I'm not sure, man.
7: And we didn't—we didn't even bring up Tobias Harris who, by the way, has really come on in my eyes and has taken on the role that Harden was supposed to take on, right? I mean, Maxie is going to be Maxie, and he runs to the basket. He gets fouled. He's got so much speed that they can't contain. But Tobias Harris, to me, Mike, all of a sudden, is Harden your fourth option when Embiid is playing? I mean, are we looking at... Because Tobias Harris seemed to get anything he wanted in the last two games. Yeah. Again. And still, they they got blown out both games. So, you know, you're looking at Tobias Harris, if anything came out of these first two games, Mike, it's maybe that Tobias Harris is going to be more aggressive moving forward and he, and he's going to get his game together at a level that we've always hoped and expected. You've got Maxi, who's too young to know what's going on, so he's going to get you his numbers. And then if you can get an Embiid at, what, 80%, 75%, anything from Harden's like a bonus then. I mean, at this point, Harden was to be your strong number two And now he's possibly in these games right now. He's your number four.
1: Well, we just got some news just breaking right now. Sham Serenia is reporting that Joel Embiid is out for game number three. So it looks like, yeah, it looks like there will be no Joel Embiid in game number three. And then you wonder if, you know, if he's even able to play on Sunday night, would you even uh, put him out there?
7: Well, and it's disappointing. And, And you know, what's a sad ending to this, Mike, is that. I told you, you know, we used to talk in the past and in past years, and I'd say, you know, you loved Embiid, and I'd always say, yeah, but the mindset of him, he's he's laughing too much. He's joking all the time. And this year, I remember saying to you, he's got a different mood about him. And he came into this year with such a focus, Mike, that's so different than I had seen from him in past years. And there's a reason that he was an MVP, right? That, that, that caliber player is that he locked in this year, and I'm, I'm really sad for him. Because I just wish he was at 100% and could have and could have seen how this played out. They still, in my eyes, I don't know that they still would have won the championship. But at least he would have gotten 100% of him with this team, with Doc, with everybody going at it. That's really going to be the disappointment to me. Because you don't know how many years you get that, Mike. And Embiid really just played so incredible this year. No, this is devastating. Essence, it's absolutely you know, it's devastating. devastating.
1: This is the guy who, for all intents and purposes, should be the MVP, whether he wins it or not. He could have won it last year. I mean, the guy was having an unbelievable season. He got his body into shape. You're right. He's kind of taken over this team. He's expanded his game even more. I remember, you know, the first year he was here, I said, dude, this guy's something different. I mean, he's a seven foot two guy who's shooting threes, and, I mean, he looks like Kobe Bryant one night. He's Dirk Nowitzki another night. He's Hakeem Olajuwon. I've never seen anything like this. And here he is now. He's matured into this player, and for him to get knocked out by a, an inadvertent elbow that he just can't play now, it's sickening. It, it's just sickening. This this playoff series has been a sham. I mean, they just they can't compete. That, but as as Kendrick Perkins tweeted last night, watching the Sixers without Embiid, they're they're barely a playoff playoff team with, if without him.
7: Well, it shows you because let's take out Giannis from Milwaukee. Are they, do they look the same as like a Sixers team? Or are they are they at a different level because they're a champion from last year? Do they have the, I mean, they don't have a Middleton right now and they're still blowing teams out, but they got Giannis. So it's like, how do you, you know, how do you really compare it? I get what you're saying, Mike. They, you know, the Sixers tried to fill in a piece with Harden because Simmons never showed up this year. And without Embiid, it's a different team. I mean, they can compete for the first half, and they do. They try to keep up with this team. But if you don't have Embiid, which you're not now for game three, Mike, the crowd's only going to take you so far. And then the, the Heat are going to take over. And and I just, I have a feeling the Sixers won't be able to hold up for four quarters without him, B, that's, that's going to be the biggest
1: well, issue. there's no, you know, yeah. They're, you know, in a situation. And let's look, let's say come out and, and they could have won one, either one of these two games if they just shot the ball better. If they just shot the ball better, they're in, last night, they're in this game. You know, it's like an eight to 12 point game. They just couldn't get that shot. They couldn't flip the momentum. They'd get an open look, clank. They'd get an open look, clank. They'd get an open look. And a hold, they just could not get a basket. And then they get the stop and they couldn't get a basket on their end. And then the heat come down and hit a three. And it was like an eight point back to 11. It just, they couldn't get that, they couldn't get that big shot to fall. And you're shorthanded because you're playing zone defense. I mean, yeah. right? I mean, you're playing yeah. zone all night, so you can't rebound. They're getting second shaft point after point. So if you're just tuning in, by the way, uh, it beat is out for game three. Uh, he is currently listed as out. There is progress that could change his availability. This is from Woj now. He is being listed as out, but there's progress that still could be made that could change his availability. Now, how do you list a guy out and then change it from out to back in?
7: <laughs> and the, and now they don't have the luxury of the Celtics and Bucks. who – can I tell you how, how – tragic it is that the NBA does a break like that where the Celtics and Bucks don't play now again till Saturday? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, come on, it's ridiculous. So if the Sixers had that kind of a break, that might have helped him beat a little bit. But, you know, and again, Mike, even with the orbital, that thumb was causing him issues. It was in his head. Yeah,
1: but you know what? I said that, and I agreed with you. I tweeted out, like, hey, this thumb, I just, sadly, the thumb injury I just don't see how they can win with his thumb because he's not. If he's compromised at all, they're not good enough. But then right. in game six, he played great. It's almost like he had kind of figured out how to play with it, like managed it. You know what I mean? Like we were talking yeah. to somebody last week who talked about that injury and said it took three or four games for them to kind of, I think it was Tim Legler actually, who said it took like three or four games to kind of manage it. Well, Embiid seemingly got it after two games that he felt like, okay, I know what's going to happen now when that ball hits my hand. And yeah. he played well in game six.
7: No, he did. And, again, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You know that soccer spray that they always have for those soccer players? Maybe there was a little bit of that on the thumb. Maybe, maybe a little special cream from Germany imported. <laughs> you know what I mean? You never know what to bring it in.
1: Oh, man.
7: <laughs> I just I don't it's going to be tough. It yeah, is.
1: And tough. look, the, and now there's all these tweets coming out that, you know, it doesn't mean he's out. You just have to report by 5 o'clock. It, it, why would you put him out if you if there's – like, why would you say doubtful?
7: Well, and, and bottom line, Mike, yes. Would it make the crowd excited for him to come back for game three? Is it going to make a difference? Of course he is. But you're still not getting him at 100%, Mike. And although he did play great in game six – that was the Raptors. The Heat's a different team. And so if you don't get him beat at 100%, you know, that, that's really the, the the shame of the whole thing is that you're not going to get him really at the level that he can play at. He's going to give you the best that he can. I just don't know. And maybe you get one in Philly, but if you can't get them both in Philly, Mike, you know you're in trouble I mean you just the bottom line is well and that think, was so, he, you know Harden said yeah. it
1: last night Harden said it last night you know the series doesn't start we know that whole story the series doesn't start until somebody wins a road game nobody's won the road game yet if you can win game three Friday night you get Game four now it's a two out of three series and you got to find a way to win one of those road games and unfortunately for them Um, they're going to have to do game three, most likely it looks like, without Joel Embiid. And, you know, that just changes the dynamics of this series. And then, you know, the question really happens after this is, you know, where does this team kind of turn if (laughs) they lose this series and they get swept? Now, how does that kind of um, impact Doc? How does it impact the future of the team? How does it impact uh, Harden's future? All of that stuff. Well, because are they locked into Harden for next year? He can opt back into his deal at 47 million. But you know, a lot of these guys opt out so that they can get a bigger deal. Yeah, but Mike, based on performance. Yeah, but you know, Hunt, these guys, first off, Come this, this on, is not going anywhere. Yeah, but this is an interesting conversation, right? Maury's his guy. Maury brings him here. Now Maury's going to be the guy that says to him, Sorry, man, I can't give you that money.
7: <laughs> yeah, but it's. It is if Harden opts into it.
1: If Harden opts into the him, deal, if Harden opts in, he he gets forty seven million dollars. He has to they have to pay him that. But if he opts out, he then becomes a free agent because yeah, most of these guys do this. They opt out of their deal because they want the long term deal for bigger money.
7: Well, yeah. When you're playing well. Yeah, but that, in my,
1: in his I mind, mean, maybe he is playing well.
7: No, nah, I mean Harden, look. He's going to get a free $47 million next year, and he doesn't have to do anything. Now, if he wants to make a better deal after
1: that, then he needs to come back next year and play well. Well, I would think if you are so close with Maury that Maury can sit him down and say, James, we want you back, but I cannot sign you to that long-term deal. And the owner will not let me do it until you prove and show that, you know, that you're healthy.
7: Well, of course. I mean, that that would be the point. And but this the is one of those.
1: Is... But this is one of those like uh, relationship, like altering deals where it's like, Todd, I just can't give you the money. And you're like, what, did you, what do you mean? We've been friends our whole life. You're not going to give me the money. I, I'm sorry, dude. I just can't do it. And then you're like, well, then you're dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. By the way, I got that Venmo money. Thanks.
7: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so if one more day, if I didn't deliver, I'm dead to you.
1: Right? If I didn't get that money by the end of the day, you're out.
7: God, I hate that Venmo. Comes back to bite me how quick he can pay somebody.
3: Ooh.
7: Um now look, I just think Harden's in the in the seat, right? He's he basically says if I if I want 47 million, I just say I'm opting in. If I want to genuinely leave because I don't like the situation here. Then that's his choice, and he's going to lose money because of it. Because even if a team signs him to a three-year, four-year deal, Mike, they're not signing him at forty-seven million a year. No, so- but
1: he was. I guess in his mind, he opts out of the deal to try to get a, you know, a, a max deal from the Sixers or you know, some sort of five-year, long-term contract from somebody.
7: Well, and a bad team might do it. You're right, a bad team might. But again, what does he want out of this, Mike? Is Harden trying to find a fit where he knows he's got a chance at a championship with that team, or is he after the money? And I think the majority of fans listening would probably say, Todd, this guy's probably after the money at this point. I haven't seen anything to change my mind about it. I'm not saying he's a terrible teammate, but I'm just saying he doesn't have that it factor that the superstars do when you need to get locked in mentally to want to win the
0: ring
1: yeah and quite and frankly I, quite frankly i don't think it's so. I, I, i've said for a while i know about years ago we had that whole debate on whether he was a superstar or whatever that was a while ago he has elevated to that status since that conversation i think at the for time, sure. i think at the time we had it he was at the very early stages of becoming the james harden that we now know and he certainly got to that point but i always had maintained James Harden cannot be the best player on the team that wins the championship. He's not that level of player. He was a volume scorer, and he took some mediocre Rockets teams. They were the next best team in the league for a stretch there, right? Yeah. I mean, it was the Warriors, and it was the Rockets. I mean, there was really those two teams for like three straight years that were the best.
7: And it tells you how organizations... The, the successful ones and the ones that are always floundering, right? I mean, you look at the Golden State Warriors, Mike, and you look at what they've been able to keep together. Those those players that they've kept, and sure, Kevin Durant snuck in, and then he bounced out. Does he regret it now? You wonder. But the reality is they've kept that core together, Mike, and even through the three years or so where there were injuries, Clay was out for two with the two bad injuries. They... They ne- you see what it is. It's come back around again, right? And there they are at the top of the game, at the top of the Western Conference. When I look back at OKC in the beginning, Mike, Harden always needs the ball in his hands. Westbrook always needs the ball in his hands. Durant basically needs the ball in his hands. They had all three of those guys on the same team, Mike, but they all needed the ball. Because, you know, as much as Westbrook might try to get off the assists and gets those triple-doubles the reality is, he wants that ball in his hands most of the time. Yeah. So, and and to your point, those got the only way that Kevin Durant got the championship is that he went to Golden State. And again, I'm not saying that he's not an, the number one player in the league. I know Giannis is now. You, there'd be an argument there, but the point is, he had to go to another team with other really great players that know how to play at that level to be able to get that championship. Those three guys together at OKC. I don't think ever could have, right? I mean, it just it, – it's not built into them like that.
1: Yeah, I, I know that um, the Harden thing is going to be very interesting because of the relationship with Mori and the fact that this team, you know, obviously has been on the precipice of the second round for all these years. And – you got to have some consistency. They've been in the second round with like five different rosters. I mean, they haven't had the. It's not like those teams that build and grow together, and they keep getting knocked off, and they come back, and they lose again, and then they come back, and then they finally. Every year, it's it's a different team. It's a different roster. Well, what's going to be the backlash in Philly, Mike? If let's say the the Sixers
7: get knocked out this round, they get knocked out the second round. You've got Embiid who's injured, obviously. How much of a backlash on Harden is this going to be, or, or kind of a uh, where where the fans blame? Because there's going to be blame, and they're going to try and dish it out. What are they going to blame? Is is the percentage going to be Embiid's injury is the blame, or is it going to be Harden, or is it going to be Doc? What's the blame game going to be? Well, they hate it, that. They, they hate Rivers. I, I'll
1: tell you that right now. They hate Rivers.
7: The 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 Philly does not want Doc as their head coach.
1: Nope, they're done with him. I mean, the fans here, they blame the coach in every sport for everything. Gabe Kapler was the worst. He gets fired. He's the coach of the year for the Giants, and they have the best team in the league. <laughs> right, right. Brett Brown well, but, was the worst. They fire him. They bring Doc <laughs> Rivers in. he They're going to be so much better because they got rid of the worst, and now Rivers is actually worse than Brett Brown.
7: And and where do they, I mean, Mike, they're getting top-tier – like, Doc Rivers is literally – one of the top probably five or six coaches in this league. Where do the Philly fans want to go next? I mean, are we pulling out Mark Jackson? Are we pulling him out of the out of the commentating booth? What do we want in Philly? Like, what do those fans want out of a coach? <laughs> You're not getting Phil Jackson to come out oh, of retirement. I mean,
1: look, you and I have had the discussions on how important a coach is or isn't. And this goes to show... I mean, I don't say the coach has zero percent importance, but we put way too much on what they have, what kind of impact they have on a win and a loss is my point. So we want the guy fired because they're not good enough.
7: But here you got Doc winning now. Hold He's on, been there. On,
1: hang on there. Let me take a break yeah. and we'll come back, all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Sports Pass Live 97.3. Because I want to finish this. We have had disagreements in this, but now you're almost agreeing with me, it sounds like. <laughs>
7: well, not. I mean, I've got. There's other coaches in this league, yeah. All we'll right, talk. hold
1: that thought. We'll take a break, come back with more. Todd Rank is back here on the other side. Now, back to Morse on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. At 534, the sports pass is brought to you by Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at phillysportstrips.com. All right, Todd Rank is back, uh, former co-host of the Sports Bash here on ninety-seven-three ESPN. We're talking about Doc and uh, Harden, and what happens if this uh, series is done and Beat is listed as out for game number three. Although I guess he's not officially officially out. Make that make sense, right?
7: <laughs> well, I don't. Is is that a game that that the Sixers are trying to play with the Heat? I don't know that you you tell them they're out, and then last minute he comes on. Like a Willis Reed, and the crowd goes nuts because they didn't know he was going to (laughs) play.
1: Right? It's all sorts of crazy (laughs) stuff. But, I mean, you're asking who are they blaming here. I mean, it's hard to, like, again, Rivers has not made it easy on himself. I'll say that. He has been somewhat of a pompous ass.
7: So you believe, because I don't, look, I'm out here on the West Coast. I don't watch these interviews post-game, all that stuff. Although he was the Clippers head coach, so I kind of, I have a base and an understanding of Dominic. I mean, he
1: gets asked the other night you know, hey, Paul Reed played a good game. And he says, well, we're not going to do the Paul Reed victory tour here, you know. And that's his way of saying because Paul Reed is like the third big man. DeAndre Jordan has been horrible. He keeps playing Jordan. Well, he finally plays Reed at the last game of the season. And Reed has a big game. So someone says, hey, do you wish you would have played Reed some more and got a more look at him before the playoffs? He says, well, we're not going to do the Paul Reed victory tour here. So it's like, all right, dude. And then DeAndre Jordan, who didn't play one second in the series against the Raptors, he starts the first game of the series against Miami, and he's cooked. I mean, out of bio, ate his lunch. He was a minus 22 in 17 minutes of play. Horrible. So he says, we like DJ, and we're going to start him in game two, whether you like it or not. Right, so he gets, you believe, the way he's coming across is,
7: first off, as a coach, especially in the NBA, right, you got a lot of eyes on you. Everybody wants to be a coach. Everybody wants to tell you what to do, what you're supposed to do. So I get the kind of defensive shell that some of these coaches put on, right? And well, I mean, then he gives you, you know,
1: But he also gives you, Todd, you know, uh, you didn't play. You're going to tell him, like last year, somebody said, hey, should you take Ben Simmons off late in the game? He doesn't shoot free throws really well. And he says, I'm going to take the, one of the best point guards in the league. Yeah, that's a smart decision. No, I think I'll coach and you you do that. And then what does he well, do? He takes him off the court.
7: <laughs>
1: well, but, Mike, this kind
7: of personality, the way you become one of the better ones in the league as a coach, Phil Jackson did that before. Popovich has done it before. These guys will get an attitude with the media. They're going to tell you, hey, guys, I do me. You do you. I don't. Don't get me wrong, Mike. It's not the personality that I like to see, but it's not out of the realm of what these guys oh, at the top I'm, of the game. I'm just act saying.
1: Like. I'm just giving you the reasons but why. It rubs
7: against. It rubs the the, the fans the wrong right, way. Right
1: now, now he's told people, "Hey, I know more than you. You never right. played." So yeah, they have him at the top of the list if they want him gone. And oh, there's a lot of people who think he's a big reason why the team is where they are right now. I don't think it's all well, that big of a reason. But, I mean,
7: but come on. where, well, where are they, Mike? They're they're in the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, they're down two zero, but Embiid hasn't played. I mean, where are they? They're still playing basketball. Well, like, we're rational people. I'm talking well, about I'm just. Saying, I mean, I'm just saying to myself, I look at it, and you look at like a Heat. spolster has been the Heat coach for eleven seasons. They don't win the championship every year, Mike. Sometimes they have a down year. But the consistency, when you and me talk about a coach, and I think maybe he matters a little more than you do, I think the key is the consistency of the coach. What's your the percentage? What's your percentage? And the col- but I do understand, too, when a coach gets to a place where their voice is stale. I don't think Doc's nearly there yet in Philly with the team. But what I'm saying is I can understand making a move at that point where you go, you know what? Same routine every year. It's getting stale with these guys. Yeah. But I'm looking at guys like a Popovich. San Antonio hasn't won a championship in a while. And and he's been there for years. There was never even a thought to get rid of him. It's like if you're in Philly, you get a year, year and a half, and they're ready to crucify and move on to the next one. Well, do they see that that trend hasn't really worked well either?
1: Like, Well, that's the thing, is everybody, like, Brett Brown was the worst. He's the worst coach there is. He's horrible. So Andy Andy Reid was a terrible coach, too, right? Get him out of here. He only
7: takes us to the NFC Championship
1: every year. Right, exactly. So they get rid of Brett Brown. They bring in a guy who has won an NBA title. He's voted one of the 15 greatest coaches of all time. And then this guy's the worst. He's worse than Brown all of a sudden. It's like, maybe you're putting too much importance on the coach. Right, from your perspective you don't put as much I go from, I say I blame the players 80 coach 20. 80 so 20. In, so in this
7: scenario if this season ended in this round you're not really apt to make a move on And you may how not my like judging
1: God, how am but, i judging the coach in a series when Joel Embiid's not there
7: well this this is my Mike and this is
1: to your point of what you say is a coach is only as good as their players. Yeah, like you brought up Popovich, right? Popovich is the greatest coach of all time in some people's minds, right? Considered to be one of the top two or three, for sure. Right. If you were to say over the years, who's the best coach in the NBA? The first answer is Popovich. Well, it's funny. You took Tim Duncan away, and all of a sudden, Popovich ain't so great no more
7: and and it always comes down Mike to the combination of the two. Look, Phil Jackson probably isn't Phil Jackson without Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Right. I mean, you tell me if Jackson Phil Jackson
1: jumped in to the Minnesota Timberwolves all of a sudden, they're winning six NBA championships. Come on.
7: No, but I will say this Mike and this is where we differ. I do think the culture and the the way in which Phil conducts his, his conducts his team and 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 is able to delegate responsibilities to his assistant coaches, and then the way he builds relationships, I do think he would make that Minnesota team a, a lot better. I'm, I wouldn't guarantee a championship. Oh, I
1: agree, and this is where the 20% comes in. I think the coach can set the culture. I think the coach can set the style of play, and I do hold Rivers some accountability for... Playing DeAndre Jordan like a guy who's clearly cooked, meaning you're not giving your team the best chance to win. Now you're short-handed as it is. Don't play a guy who you're short-handed, and he's not the right fit. DeAndre Jordan is not the right style of player to defend Bam Adebayo. I mean, he's seven foot slow, and you're facing Bam who's six foot nine and can jump out of the building. That's just not a matchup. So, Doc not using the right personnel, I think, has put his team, which was already at a disadvantage, at a further disadvantage.
7: So if so, if Embiid doesn't play game three, you ideally you would like to see who start in place of Jordan.
1: Well, here's where I think Rivers made the mistake, okay? When they traded Drummond away, they had like 20 games or 25 games to take a look at the two kids, Paul Reed and Charles Bassey. Bassey to me, is the guy they should be playing. He's a 6'11", athletic guy. He goes down to the G League, and I get it. It's the G League. But he's scoring 35 points and grabbing 28 rebounds a game down there. Like, at what point are you like, all right, maybe this guy's a little too advanced for this level. And all I'm asking for is 10 to 12 minutes. I'm not asking for him to replace Joel Embiid. I'm saying let him play 10 minutes. He should have been playing the young players the last 20 games of the year to see what he had. He had DeAndre Jordan here. If they didn't play well, you could always say, hey, DeAndre, I let these kids play. They didn't give me what I wanted. I'm going to you. But he played Jordan in those minutes. He never saw what these young kids had. Jordan was terrible from the jump. Well, then they get to the playoffs, and he decides to play Paul Reed all of a sudden. So Reed could have been playing those 20 games and getting the experience instead he plays Jordan in the regular season last 20. that's where I think he made the mistake. he could have took a look at Bassey and Reed now maybe they sneak a game because Bassey is a very good rim protector he blocked shots he had seven block shots in two games that he played this year so maybe he could have took taken a look at those guys instead of playing Jordan all those all those minutes.
7: And that may come down Mike to a coach. That has a preference on veterans, right? I mean, that th- some of these veteran coaches who have been successful, they lean on veteran guys, and that so it may not even be that he's looking at Jordan as a, you know, he's going to fit here or there. He says, "Look, if I don't have Embiid, I, I trust a veteran more than I do a young kid, and and I'm going to go with him." I, you know, we I, there's been talks out here again with LeBron and the Lakers and all that mess, and they're saying. You know, the problem for LeBron is he doesn't trust young players. Like, surround yourself with really talented young players, but he only trusts veterans because he either has seen what they could do, he knows them as friends, and he goes, that's who I trust. When it gets late in the game, I'm going to trust that veteran. Yeah, And that might be Doc's whole mindset as a coach. Now, that might be him no matter where he's coaching. He goes, that's just my philosophy, and I'm always going to live and die by it. But in this scenario... He may die by it, right? I mean, that, that the bottom line is Jordan can't keep up with Bam on any level.
1: Right. And and But that's where he could have been in a situation where if he played these younger guys in those last 20 regular season games, who the hell cares? These regular season games are becoming less and less meaningful. And you could have found out in those games if you like those kids or trust them enough or not. You could always go back to the veteran. I didn't need to see the veteran play twenty games. I know what he can do. He has a whole resume of games. So, and and look, so that's where I say, okay, I put the blame on Doc in those situations. But again, that's twenty percent. You're not winning the game because Charles Bassey started the game, but you might lose the game because DeAndre Jordan's a minus twenty-two in seventeen minutes. Well, and then it just goes down again to coach's philosophy.
7: When do you play small? When do you play big? What is What are you kind of the chess move that he's going to make against Spolstra? And you know what's funny, Mike? I, mean, I remember back when Spolstra first started, and he got a lot of railing from a lot of people going, what is this, Pat Riley's puppet guy? He just brought him into Miami yeah. to take over his head. What's this all about? And fast forward, and this guy's now one of the great minds.
1: Yeah. In in the NBA. And look what's going on in Boston. In December, they wanted uh, Odoka fired. They thought he was horrible. Yeah. And now people are thinking, this guy, what a great find this was. What about this guy? No. (laughs) How about your team's playing better? How about the team is gelling and playing better together? Like, yeah, he's got a role in that, but, you know, like.
7: Well, and again, it took time to build whatever his culture was or for the players to get used to who he is and how he dictates it. I do think Mike Embiid is playing the best basketball of his career and I want to give Doc credit for that. To be honest.
1: They were on a 52-win pace, the Sixers were, before they got James Harden. Before they got James Harden, they were on pace to win 52 games. What role did the coach have in a team winning 52 games with Joel Embiid, Seth Curry, I mean, and like just an average roster. I mean, come on. then you got, that's my point there. You got to give credit
7: to Doc in the sense that he didn't even get his other star, which was Ben Simmons, to, he didn't play one game this year. No. So you've got to, I mean, I'm giving a lot of credit to him, B, but my point is I got to give credit to a coach, Mike, who didn't even get everything he was supposed to get to start the year. And that team was still on pace for 52 wins, like you said. I, I got to say, to get rid of Doc in Philly after this year, especially if it ends this way with Embiid injured, I think is a terrible move. Well, let me ask you this, and I got to
1: run after this, but let me ask you this. I know the Clippers don't get a lot of high profile, but when he got fired by the Clippers, what was the reaction in LA? I think because
7: they kind of knew that that um, Tyron Lue was there in waiting, I think that was kind of their, they were okay. Because they kind of felt like, that's who they wanted if it's going to be a predecessor. So, he was kind of already groomed in a sense to be ready. I think as an organization as a city, they were okay to move on. But again, Mike, you got to be careful and again, they had somebody that they had their eye on pretty heavily. Who do the Sixers have? Who are they eyeing? I, I mean, they got to show me well, somebody what? they're going to bring in anymore. To
1: any more if like that's the whole new thing in this basketball world is uh udoka was not a guy that anybody knew he was on the six did you know he was on the Sixers staff
7: i did hear that i right. will be honest i actually heard okay that. well like, yeah
1: but a lot of people wouldn't have known Odoka was with the sixers monty williams with with the sixers how about the coach of the memphis grizzlies anybody know that guy I still don't know that guy. Right, exactly. Nobody knows who that guy was. Where did they find that guy? So you're finding, much like a lot of sports now, the evolution of stuff. We're pushing out these old guys, and you're bringing in all these new forward analytical thinkers.
7: And these assistant coaches that are, we don't know, but behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly.
1: The players The Nick know, nurse. The Nobody knew who Nick Nurse was. Right. Again, that... So like if the Sixers would have fired Brett Brown and then appointed Udoka as the head coach, people would have been like, what are you doing? He was on Brett Brown's staff. He doesn't know what he's doing.
7: But do you bring in, Mike, with a guy like Embiid, who has a a limited couple of years to to win this championship, right? Do you bring in a fresh but brand new and green head coach? I don't know you can do that, Mike. I think the next coach,
1: I would be surprised if Doc was out, the next coach would be Sam Cassell.
3: You would not be surprised.
1: I would think he's on the staff. They like him. His name comes up a lot. Everybody works with him. You see him in a lot of videos working with the players. I think if, if Doc was out, Sam Cassell would be the next coach.
7: And what would that difference be, Mike? That's the question. Is
1: what it would any be di- the- Are the Sixers any different now than they were with Brett Brown? Well, I would say yes. Well, they won 52 games with Brett Brown. That's more than they've won with Doc Rivers. Well, how many did they win this year? uh the Sixers record this year was 52 is the high water they won 51 all right so Brett Brown got them 52 wins they were in game seven of the Eastern Conference second round and and Kawhi hit that shot against them
7: and now here we are second round Embiid orbital and it may be the demise of Doc Rivers
1: we'll leave on that see you man all right, buddy. All right, that's Todd Rank. We're back to close out. the Now, back to the Sports Bash ESPN. All right, uh, Keith Pompey joins Josh tonight on game night at 620. Talk a little Sixers and the Heat. I got a question for you real quick. You could pon- you know, ponder this overnight and then think about it. Chew on Get back to the tomorrow. Chew on it. It's just dumb
2: right now.
1: Mel Kuiper Jr. just did the NFL draft for like the 35th time. Yes. Is there anyone in any sport that's more identified with one specific event, more so than Mel Kiper is to the NFL draft? Good question. Is there anybody out there that is that associated with that event that is that well known? Wow! Think about that overnight. We'll do that on Happy Hour Friday tomorrow here on the Sports Bash. ESPN. I hope you have a great night, everybody. Each and every one of you. We'll talk to you tomorrow.